whatever a spider can Spins a web any size Catches thieves just like flies Look out, here comes the Spider-Man Welcome to third degree burn. Gosh, see, I'm used to doing this. Save that. I'm going to put that at the end. I'm not used to doing this. Hello and welcome to third Smooth. degree burn. I'm John Hyatt, a guest host today or a co-host with uh, four wonderful other guys. Uh, and uh, we're here to talk about John Byrne comics. We have some two great books for us to, to look into. So um, I'm here today with uh, Tim Elliott. Say Hello. hi, Tim. Hello. Brian, say hi, Brian. Uh, my name is Brian Hughes, and uh, legal department has informed me that, that you guys are supposed to identify as interns. That's right. <laughs> we are interns. Okay. Yes. Sorry. So Guest stars get paid. Interns, you know. <laughs> That's true. And uh, Kirk Greenfield. Say That's hi, okay. Kirk. Nobody can pronounce it. I go by Kirk Greenfield. Hi, guys. Well, see, that's the thing. I know how to pronounce it in Dutch, but uh, it caught me by surprise, so I was going to do it by uh, Greenfeld. And guess what? We have an intern coming back. Yay! Hey, Yay. David. Hello. <laughs> that's all we get after all of this time? <laughs> he finally Look, makes parole. I, I've been, yeah, right. I, I've been on assignment deep undercover. He has been assignment deep in space. Welcome did back. That, did that rock hammer help? Yes, that I'll... tiny chisel you sent me. <laughs> I could just imagine David or Rocky II style up there with a the big sledge just busting away at those rocks. <laughs> well, welcome back. We're glad, glad to have you. And uh, hey, we've got a, a rocking show today because we've got two um, two Spider-Man books we're going to cover from the '90s, late '90s, early 2000s, and uh, this is going to be a very interesting indeed. Hey, who's got something to? Uh, any announcements? Any topics to bring up? Uh, I've got something small, but I'll, I'll get mine out of the way because it's going to be real quick because I don't know who's interested or not. But is everybody or anybody who's interested, this is Star Trek stuff. Have you <laughs> seen the trailer for Lower Decks? Yeah, yes. Okay. Um, it's animated, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, by the guy that worked on Rick and Morty, and it kind of looks like Rick and Morty. I don't watch Rick and Morty, <laughs> but it looks like that. See, I, I don't watch it. My son and I, Beth and my son and I, uh, all watched it. And Chris uh, made a comment that it, it reminds him a little of Teen Titans Go. And just that the manic energy. Yeah, it's it, not quite that stylized. Yeah. It's not that kind no, of Powerpuff no. type. Um, it, a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of people uh, um, reference it to a thing called Final Space, which is another cartoon show. And I watched that on YouTube, and it's very similar. Um, mm. But whoever's seen it. Give me a 20-second, what's your reaction? 
I didn't I, I, watch you know, it. It was animated. Uh, <laughs> I saw it show up on the feed, but I did not take time to watch it. Sorry. That's right. No worries. I, I'm looking forward to it, but I, I you know, it, again, it's it looks like it's definitely going to be very tongue in cheek, and play fast Just and loose. To say that, to say the least, it's going to be yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely you're you're going to see a lot of warp core breaches as uh, the punchlines. So this is, this is, is the show that's like. supposed to tide us over until uh, Star Trek Discovery season three comes out, or Picard season two, or Strange New Worlds, uh, <laughs> and that's the one I'm looking forward to most: the Strange New Worlds, uh, the Chris Pike series. That's going to be great. Yeah, that looks good. The rest, what well, uh, I haven't heard anything good about Lower Decks. I'd, I'd heard that when it came out, soon after it was posted, that they did. Uh, disabled the likes and dislikes and took down the comment section which is not a good sign no Uh, and uh, for which for For which lower decks oh and they said in some of the the youtube reviews of it who are just full of venom for it said it's of course they have nothing they have nothing good to say about um uh, anything well about that show but it's the show right it's at uh orsi uh Robert Roberto, uh, or yeah, he's in, or yeah, or Kurtzman, Kurtzman, not okay, um, not Orsi, uh, saying it's made by, it's made by people who don't like Star Trek for people who don't watch Star Trek. <laughs> so well, that's, and, and, that's, that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty big big uh, target audience there. Yeah, you know, that, that's that's the problem with well, and right there's there's two groups in Star Trek fans. You're you know the group that hates it, right with, with as you said, venom for, mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you try and dig down deeper as to why, why don't they like it? They usually don't have a very good answer, which is, you know, telling in that they probably haven't watched it. And then the, 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 the fans of the show, it's kind of like comic book fans in that people get so attached to, the, you know, I'm putting up air quotes, you know, their Star Trek, right? So you've got the contingency that's like, the original series is the only real Star Trek, right? Everything after is garbage. Yeah. You know? And, you know, you've got your next gen folks. You've got your Deep Space Nine. There's a little tiny corner that's Voyager. <laughs> um, you know, and then you've got some new folks coming in, right, with Discovery. Uh, you know, but every it doesn't even matter what Star Trek show gets talked about on the Internet. You're going to get all kinds of opposing views. It doesn't seem like there's any middle ground. Yeah, but watching this, it, it made me think a little bit of Big Bang Theory in that, you know, it wasn't laughing with the characters, it's laughing at the characters. And it's not so much, you know, making fun of Star Trek as it is the fans. I think it's, a, well, the the biggest problem yeah. I had with the clip was it wasn't funny. I mean, if it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. this is supposed to be a comedic, humorous approach, it, it there was no jokes in it. I don't think anything was funny. Now, maybe... I need to watch the whole uh, episode, but they should be putting the, their their best gags in the trailer. And yeah, like just, the naked the naked scene seemed like a punchline, and and that's, that's what made me think a very very Teen Titans go kind of punchline. Yeah, it seems the not, humor not is like nudity, really yeah. low hanging fruit. I mean, it, it is. It's it's yeah. and it's not the way. <laughs> okay. You got me. Yeah, I got you there. Uh, it's not like you know. A lot of people would say Galaxy Quest is making fun of Star Trek, and it's not. It uh, Galaxy Quest, I think, has got its heart in the right spot. This show just looks. I don't know. I may try. I may. I'll, I'll look at it. I mean, I'll look at it. 
I'll, I'll watch it. <laughs> I'll look at it. Um, I'll watch it, but it doesn't. It's, it's not doing anything to make me want to go, you know. I like the TVs. That's right. I'll look at the picture. Um, <laughs> hey, you got any of them moving pictures? But to, I think to David's point, it's is accurate in that what's great about Star Trek is there are there's so much of it that you can have your bit and maybe not like the rest of it. But it's like, I like this show, maybe nobody else likes it, which is fine. But sometimes they, to me, they stray a little too far outside the box and it doesn't feel like Star Trek. So that's that's the vibe I'm getting from this show. But And I the vibe I got from Discovery too. But. Well, I think we talked about it in the, you know, to tie this into comics with uh, John Byrne's Star Trek New Visions. Some, you know, most, I think most of us really enjoyed it uh you know because he kind of captured the uh the essence of the original series and some of the i don't want to say campiness right but you know absurdity mm-hmm. uh but in a good way and other people hated those books which you know again goes back to that you know it's only the original shows that aired on cbs you know for the three years blah blah, blah you know yeah, if, we, if we've proven anything, it's it's fans, whether it's comics or TV or sci-fi, whatever, uh, don't embrace change very well. Uh, no. So, all right, well, I don't want to get us on a big tangent on that because I know we got, we yeah. got comics to talk about. Um, well, the the other thing that, you know, I wanted to bring up, and I posted it on the uh, Third Degree Burn Facebook group, is uh, there was an interview with John Byrne done on the Today Show back in 1986. Uh, Jane Pauley did an interview with John about the the rebirth of uh, Superman, uh, the Man of Steel series, and you know what he was going to be doing there, and um, it's it's a fun watch just because you can see that that he feels like that he's on the barbecue spit. You can see the annoyance uh, of him in dealing with the mundanes, asking <laughs> him questions about comic books. It's I, I mean it, okay, that's how I interpret it by by watching it. But uh, Jane Pauley, you know, is just I think she's taking uh, digs every every way she can, because you even watch. She's got an issue, a copy of Man of Steel number one with the shirt rip. And she is just torturing that comic while she's talking to him. Mm. And you can you can see the look on his face is just like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> it's, it's just uh, kind of interesting to watch. What do you mean torturing? Was she like rolling it up or? She did roll it up at one point. She oh. she grasped it with both hands and was like twisting it back and forth. Just you know, then to point out, you know, one of the word blurbs on there. And, and did she felt the cut. She felt the cover back. No, she did. She didn't even open it. Oh, Not as far as I saw. But the, the last the last image of her with it, she's got it rolled up like a paper towel roll or something. Like she's about to swat him with it. Yeah, it's just a prop to her. Yeah. Well, just remember when Kirk was a kid, they that's when they used to that's what they used to do, roll put them in their back pockets, right? And go running around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the and, and I think for the vast majority of of the populace, comic books are supposed to be disposable. They have no value. So, I'm not surprised to hear that she did it, but I don't know that it was malicious. I only watched like the first 30 seconds to see the face. And then I got distracted into something else. I'll go back and watch. But think about this was the time before comics were the uh, the creative resource for billion dollar movies. So it was, you know. 
And know? nobody had yet paid a million dollars for an old comic book, whether it was Action Number One or no. They were still considered funny books. Thing. They were they no. were kid stuff, yeah. you know. It, it was the pre-slab era. I think yeah, I I liked it. To think that maybe you know it, to her it was just a prop, right? She wasn't interested in comics. Yeah. But we're still facing, and comics always have had this issue, of, and I think Alan, I think it was an Alan Moore quote where he's he's talking about, uh, for some reason, comics exist in this space where people who read literature books, right? That's fine. That's accepted. People who appreciate art. That's fine. That's accepted, right? But when you put those two together, somehow they're lesser, which is what a comic is, right? It's a book and it's art and put them together. No, I think you it's know, just because... It, it's funny that you bring it up like that. Um, when I, I've been on a vacation this last week, but prior to that, I was on a conference call. And um, we were waiting for some people to get some stuff done. And one of the guys on the call goes, Brian, I understand that you're a podcaster. And I go, uh, yeah. And he goes, well, what do you do as a podcaster? And I say, I'm an art critic. And he goes, really? And he said, which, you know, are there any particular artists? And I said, yes, John Byrne. And for those who don't know, there is actual artist out there named John Byrne. I believe he's Italian or, or, or something like that. And, and so he's very well known. And, uh, of course, he deals with the fact that, you know, he gets confused with John L. Byrne, the comic book artist, all the time. So uh, th this guy, of course, immediately went to that artist and mm. didn't realize I was talking about comic books. There's and a... he went on for several <laughs> minutes before I actually was able to get in there and correct him. <laughs> well, there's a uh, – has anybody ever seen – it was on 2020. It was probably sometime in the 80s. It, it, it's an interview with Stan Lee, and it's about 20 minutes. It's actually pretty good. And he talks about his, uh, you know, his getting started in the industry and how he – he he only he 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 kept his he says like he kept his name his actual name for when he writes that great American novel which he said he never did so he just took his first name and chopped it in half and became Stan Lee and he said he'd be at parties and people would you know come up to him and say what do you do he said well I'm a writer and he said he would kind of try to walk away and they say oh really what do you write he goes well I write uh, I write children's books oh really what do you write he goes eventually I would have to say I write comic books and then they would walk away. So it's I think it's never shaken that stigma of these are funny books. These are they're meant for kids. They're lowbrow. They're uh, they're not they're not they're not great literature. They're not, you know, great writing. But in that same interview, I thought it was interesting that uh, because in there they talk about a little bit about John Byrne because they don't talk about him, but they show. So it must have been about 86 when this was interviewed because they show a cover of. Man of Steel, and I guess when that came out, they were uh, they referred to it as Marvelizing Superman, in that they hmm. were trying to put kind of the Marvel template on Superman because people would say, well, Marvel books tend to have a better writing, the characters are better developed, uh, and they would say, well, I would, uh, you know, if I wanted to use a particular word like catastrophic or cataclysmic, he goes, I would use it. And he said, if a kid had to go look a word up, that's not the worst thing in the world, you know. So, you know, he wasn't shying away from using, you know, quote, big words um, for kids because, you know, I agree. If they have to go look something up, that's not the worst thing that can happen. <laughs> All right. So what 
book are we here to do? Oh, actually, we're talking about two, aren't we? We are. So I, fig I figured with uh, my triumphant return mm -hmm. that uh, I would put the pressure on all of us. Uh, as I had sent out in our uh, messaging group, I went back, I cataloged every single comic the show has, has covered. And Thank you. Yeah, I, and I will share that with everyone. There are some gaps. And one Charge of those for it. <laughs> well, it'll have to be a subscription model because I'll have to continually keep updating it. Um, but I went back and I'm looking and I'm like, man, we really have not talked about much Spider-Man. And that led me to the two books that we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first one being Spider-Man Chapter One, which was released in December of 1998. And then Amazing Spider-Man number one, which was released in January of 1999. And we'll put those two books, uh, I don't want to say against each other, but as a comparison purposes, because one is serving as a reintroduction of Spider-Man to fans that may never have read the original Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy or, or Spider-Man's original first title, uh, and then we've got, you know, a brand new starting point for, uh, for ASM. Now, Byrne is the, you know, he's the everything on Spider-Man Chapter One, right? He's the writer, he's the artist, he's the anchor. Um, and then for Amazing Spider-Man, uh, he's just the, uh, doing the, you know, the pencils, the art on this one. So the, and they, the, the two books are different, uh, which is oh, yeah, surprising because they they're only a month apart in their release. So I think we're in for a good discussion here. Yeah. Now, as I understand it, uh, chapter one was initially going to be titled Twice Told Tales. Really? And uh, I was trying to find, yeah, that's what, uh, in, in an interview that John Byrne did, he was referring to it as Twice Told Tales. And it looks like they went with the chapter one because they decided that they wanted to uh, do the chapter one treatment to other books. Like I, you, there's a Hulk annual. That was a chapter one story. And of course, Byrne wrote that. Uh, Lee Weeks did the art. Um, but, you know, they didn't really follow up on it. And I don't know, you know, what the reason was. The sales on chapter one, as I understand, were actually pretty good, regardless of, you know, any controversial, uh, you know, subjects or whatever that was going on with it. Do you well, think they might have been um, working off of DC's year one stuff? Remember where they were doing all that year one? Mm hmm. That kind of diluted that, didn't it? Because, you know, when you read Batman Year One, you're like, wow, this is really cool. I've never seen anything like this before. And then when you, you know, get into, get into Huntress Year One, you know, you're just kind of like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and, you know, it doesn't help that, you know, because I had to do some research uh, for these two books because, you know, as, as every comic fan has, right, there's, there's a, a gap. Right? You start typically, as we all did as younger kids, we read up to a certain point, life gets in the way, and we take a break. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's if you're meant to come back to comics, right, you will. And most of, of my comic friends, right, we all have a, a gap, right, where we weren't reading. This is in my gap. So I was not reading uh, any books in the, the late 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, so I had to go back. Yeah, I had to go back and, and reread uh, or read these books and also go out and Put the feelers out on the interwebs to figure out well what was the reception at the time of these books 
And there's a, as uh, I think it was Brian or Tim had said, there, there's some strong opinions uh, when it comes to Spider-Man Chapter One, and one of those uh, comes from Marvel. So while Byrne was doing these books, and there's a, uh, I think it's 13 issues because it's one through 12, and then there's a zero issue. Mm -hmm. um, Marvel wanted Byrne to do for Spider-Man what he did for Superman back in 86, 87. Uh, you know, reinvent the character, tweak him, you know, for, uh, you know, a modern audience, you know, basically update him, right? Make, make Spider-Man cool again. And you have to put this in context with Marvel was trying to come out of their death spiral in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. So as this is, is occurring, right, Marvel's in financial trouble. They tap burn to do this book because they want to, you know, add some juice to Spider-Man. Um, and in the process of, of this book being released, halfway through it, instead of this becoming canon, which is what I believe Byrne and Marvel were operating under originally when he started the book, halfway through... They killed that and said, "Nope, we're not gonna we're not gonna use this as canon. We're gonna go back to the original series." Sorry. Yeah. Well, that's well, I mean, and 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 that's just what keeps happening to him. I mean, you know, he he's you know told we're gonna do one thing, and then he comes in and then they change the story on him. Yeah. Then they do that to him with um, hidden years. You know, and said, hey, you got this, you can tell all these stories in between. And then, you know, it's a very popular book, and then they just you know, cancel it. But, you know, the... No, the, no it's the, not popular enough. That's that's what they say. Yeah, but Spider-Man fandom got fragmented during that, that clone saga, or the Spider-Clone saga. And that was, what, from 1994 to 1996. Yeah, so it was and, very fresh at this time. And so, you know, the yeah, the fragmentation of fandom, you know, in Spider-Man is just was was just widening and putting something like this in there, you know, it, it was going to yeah, it, it, there it was going to set a fire to something. It was just pouring gas on something that was already there and and you know, keeping it going. Um I I I just don't think that you know, there was a, a good way of undoing it unless they, you know, brought in the shaper of worlds or the cosmic cube or, you know, some other reality altering device to sit there and put Peter Parker back to square one. Like oh, Mephisto? Like Mephisto? <laughs> like Mephisto, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <laughs> we, don't talk, we, don't, we don't talk about one more day, do we? No, 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 we don't. Well, I, I think... Day? <laughs> I think I think comics are like... Uh, and I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll show my hand right now. I, I didn't particularly like chapter one. And uh, and I read it when it came out, but I don't remember reading it. Uh, but I'm in the same boat. And I, same with uh, Amazing Spider-Man One. I I read it, but I haven't read it since you know 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and I didn't remember reading it. And this is kind of when I, uh, un unlike others that stopped reading them, I stopped reading them but didn't stop buying them. I was I was I continued <laughs> to buy them because it was Spider-Man's my guy. That's my character. That's the problem. So I kept buying them and just kept stacking up and stacking up. And then there are still big gaps that I haven't read. I've got all the books, but I haven't read them. Anyway, uh, I think comics are like if you're into sports, you know, you're going to have a sports team. And that sports team is going to go through changes. There's a time where you're going to hate it. There's a time you're going to love them. 
but you hang, you know, but they're your team, so you stick with them. You're not a fair weather fan. You're not as soon as they do something you don't like or they start losing, you ditch them. So you, you hang in there knowing that soon this creative team's going to leave, somebody else is going to come in, and I'll, you know, maybe that's wrong-headed, but that's the way I feel. You just kind of hang in there, and eventually you're going to get back to something you like. And, you know, that's, you know, we have to realize that Marvel is a company that exists to make money. So they are maybe do things that fans don't like because they think that's going to sell more books. And the fans have been railing against that for, you know, for 20 or 30 years because, like, you know, you know what's the state of fandom right now? They don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to publish all these number ones and crossovers and, and just trying to grab money real quick. Is- comic book fandom is shrinking it's dying and it's because they're not getting the young readers they we haven't t- figured we out talked about this that. before though that yeah. americans just in general don't read right that's oh, the problem. i'm sorry i was on my phone were you guys talking about something about reading comic books i i was on my phone <laughs> yeah and i think that post a tiktok video <laughs> i think that's that's the point it's not that that uh it's just, I think, society, that it's just that type of, of uh, entertainment is waning because people are on their phones and they're watching TV and they're not, they're mm-hmm. not reading you know, anything. They're no. not, not, not even reading no. books. No, no, no. Look, if you present something to them in the right way at the right time, you can hook them. Otherwise, you guys wouldn't be touching comic books now. You'd be sitting there on your phone all the time. And yet, you guys still read comic books to this day. Now, yeah, but they're, they're, they're we've not done the, that because we've current. had it for well, years. But they're not trying to get us. They've already got right. us. They're trying to get my... Well, they you know, don't the... have us. They don't have us. We read the old stuff. We don't read the new stuff. <laughs> but we're still talking <laughs> about it. What? But we're still but, talking but about thing it. Is, I know, but... for everyone thing... on the call. <laughs> true, true. My, my apologies. But, I mean, the thing is, if they were put into a place where they were available to that new market, that emerging market. Get those kids when they're young. It's like cigarettes, man. All you got to do is get them while they're young. You get them at eight years old. You find a way of getting their attention. Where does every eight-year-old kid go each week? They go to the grocery store with their mom. They go to Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, all these other stores, and there's always going to be a spot where you can hook them in there. Well, you think and that they're, they're not trying. Marvel they're would have not hooked. Trying. Well, again, that goes probably burn does not promote the use of cigarettes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is true. But please use, please use Philip Morris's marketing template. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, again, it goes back to there. You know, it, it, somebody's crunched the numbers, and it doesn't cost it cost either too much or whatever the reason to have them in grocery stores or or spinner racks or things like that. Uh, you know, and the fact that bookstores are, you know, other than Barnes and Noble and used bookstores, you know, those are, are, are dinosaurs. So uh, you think that with Marvel over the last 10 years being the successful movie franchise that it is, that the movies would would spark like, oh, I see Spider-Man on the screen. It, 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 it hasn't. You know, and, but it hasn't. Why? You know, and it is that because. Those kids don't want to read. They want to, you know, they want to. Uh, get... Well, it's but there's there's so many factors in that. You know, like I, I uh, joked with, uh, you know, some of my other buddies about 
if just 1% of the people that went to go see Avengers walked into a comic book store, comic numbers would explode. Yeah. Explode! Um, but they don't. And, you know, so just a couple comments to back up. So uh, school libraries have been saying for years that graphic novels are very good in school libraries. So they, they want more of those because kids are reading them there. Uh, so I would say that, you know, there's a disconnect then between, you know, once that kid leaves school and goes home, right, are the parents trying to cultivate that behavior, right, of, oh, you know, you, I see you're reading XYZ, you know, should we go to the store and get you, you know, another graphic novel in this series or whatever the case may be. Walmart um, does carry DC 100-page giants, mm -hmm. if you remember those back from, the, you know, the 70s, and then they kind of brought them back in the 90s as well. Yeah, but they're over on the fetish aisle. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> I yeah. mean, they're on the they, same like, aisle as the baseball cards. Yeah, and know. You know this how? <laughs> do we need, do we need to bring back the bookmobile? Come on. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're there, but to Brian's cards. point, yeah, to Brian's point, unless you have a GPS, you're not going to find them. Right? They're right. not on a on an end cap that screams to kids, "Hey, pick up this Batman or get your mom and dad to buy this Batman comic." Because and they are a good value. You know, it's a hundred pages. It's five bucks. You know, so you get a lot of comic for not much money. Marvel does a bundle where they take, you know, their kind of overprinted issues. Some cases they do a, a second or third printing, and they bundle them up. You know, so you get like four comics, uh, you know, individual comics. But again, if they're not in the front, you know, put in people's faces, they're not they're not going to sell a large amount. And so Johnny just is... saw a, a Batman book that he wants. It's got uh, Batman with his hands around the Joker's throat, and it costs five dollars. You think Mom's going to buy that for him? And you're bringing up a pretty good point because comics, for the most part, are not created for all ages anymore. Comics are created for the adult, and it's you know the the those of us that still live in our parents' basement. Uh, and I'm not one of those. I've got my own house. But, you know, I mean, the thing is, you, you live in Texas. <laughs> Texas doesn't have basements. That's right. That's right. But Kirk is in his basement. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that, yeah, it's not marketed or written to them. There's not, even, there's not a line of superhero books that are written for all ages. And they should be written for all Well, there all is. Ages. DC has a line of, of kid-friendly books. And it's kids all ages. Yeah. But, um, but they're but they're graphic novels, right, or, or small books, you know. Compared to, uh, I think what you're talking about is more along the lines of, and I've thought this for a long time. Both companies have such a, a large catalog of back issues. Why doesn't DC just go back and say, okay, this run of the Brave and the Bold, for example, right, mm -hmm. is great. It's all ages. It's easily acceptable. Let's let's take you know, three or four issues, because they were bigger back then, um, and bundle that up into a 100-page book. A digest, uh, if you I, will. I, yeah, yeah. I, the little pocketbooks are great. I think yeah. even better is bring back the essentials and the showcases. You know, they stopped making those cheap black-and-white yep. books that you could buy for 12 bucks, and you got, you know, 40 issues you could thumb through. And now they decided to go with the more pristine color, you know, that, you know who wants to spend 30 or 40 bucks? Uh, a collector maybe, but not if you just want to give it to a kid to thumb through, and who cares how you know they may tear it up. 
I know some people have said they they would buy those and give them their kids for coloring books because it's black and white. Yeah. So yeah. hey hey guys, we really ought to get onto the subject matter at hand. That is true. But yeah, but uh, no, I mean we're all making good points. The fact of the matter is, is that is that the comic book industry has to take a hard look at itself and try to figure out what it can do that's right. But unfortunately, I don't think we're going to solve anything ourselves today. No, we so, are going to stay here, and we're going to work through this, and we're going to send our proposals. Nobody up to goes Marvel home until this is done. Right. <laughs> let us now turn our taste to the work of being the art critics. <laughs> and David, if you would please continue into Spider-Man Chapter One. So yeah, and you know what? This works as a great segue anyway, because here here we go. Marvel tried right to capture some magic again and come out with a new take, a fresh take on The Amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man Chapter One. Uh, as I said at the beginning here, uh, this was released in December of 1998. Uh, we have John Byrne as the uh, writer, penciler, inker, color, uh, not colors, the colorist was John Kalee's, uh letterer, John Byrne. So he basically did everything. Uh, the synopsis for this one is really easy because uh, it's Spider-Man's origin reimagined and if you go and look it up anywhere, I think the the verbatim uh, is usually something along along the lines of Peter Parker develops the strength and agility of a spider when an experiment conducted by Doctor Ock uh, goes awry. That's it. We can dive right into the book because you really don't need to know any more than that. Well, I mean, you know, didn't didn't he like lose a family member or something? Didn't he make some great proclamation that with great power comes great responsibility or? Do we not need to discuss that as part of the synopsis? <laughs> I'm, I'm just being a smart ass here. I'll shut up. I'll, I'll I, I think it's interesting that. if that's always credited to, to Ben. And I don't think in well, the original st the story, Ben never says that. It's just Peter right. comes up with that himself. I thought later, it was Aristotle. Well. Yeah. It's and, old. So he's steal so Peter's stealing it. But, yeah. And Stanley. Yeah, he's smart. And I think so. we're, we're going to end up bumping this up against you know amazing fantasy 15 i mean you, you we can start right with the cover right so the cover uh for those of you that don't have it in front of you um is a reimagined uh amazing fantasy 15 with spider-man um carrying uh, uh the crook under his his uh, uh right arm and swinging through the city uh so it's it's an homage to asm 15 if we want to start right at the cover i'm going to tell you i I don't think this is one of Burns' better ones. For some reason, and this whole series has the same issue, every cityscape looks to me like it's through like a little fisheye. You know, the buildings are curved in, mm -hmm. which is odd. If you pull up ASM 15, or I'm sorry, uh, Amazing Fantasy 15, right, you get the great straight buildings, um, you know, that, that uh, you know, Kirby is uh, uh, famous for drawing. Right, great cityscapes. We don't have that here. Um, and then you normally have uh, Peter's web, you know, taut going in a direction away from him because he's swinging towards something. And here we have the the web going straight down, and it looks kind of loose. It's not tight. Yeah, slack. Yeah, it's yeah. slack. Well, I mean, it, it it's you know just a, a derivation you know, from the Amazing Fantasy 15, even with the word blurbs, like, also in this issue, an important message. 
And it's supposed to be about the you know the the new amazing, but instead it's about Spidey's origin. Yeah. Well, this suffers a little bit from that '90s computer coloring too. A little yeah, too no. much uh, Photoshop in there for my for my taste, but. Well, is the moon Pac-Man to you, where most of it is yellow, but down at the bottom it gets brighter? Mm-hmm. With all the parts that are separated. Well, that's just a you know that's the thing with this computerized coloring. You can do these gradients. Look at the. Uh, on the on Spidey's uh, right heel, see how the the the, the yeah. sheen of the moon is kind of reflecting on his. That's just the and all the highlights in his on his uh, costume. Yeah. Costume. I don't like those. Uh, it's just a little too bright for me. And I and and I agree with you, Kirk. I know you think you mentioned earlier. I hate this logo. I don't like Spider Man, and I don't like the font they've chosen for Chapter yeah. One. Um, this whole era of comics had uh, had a, a layer of mud on top of everything, it always seemed. Well, that Spider-Man um, looks like the logo they used, and maybe, I don't know who's copying who, but is that the logo they used for this animated uh, series that was on in the 90s? I think so. I so think I that's where this That's why they're using that, yeah. yeah. So that's probably uh, not Byrne's choice. Yeah, I'm sure no. he didn't pick that, or, or that the chapter one, I hate that. My my topography teacher would have a heart attack if you saw that font. Um, yeah, it looks like somebody just scrolled through and like went, "Oh, I like that one." It exactly. It's like, Ugh. and I I know that the the inside the first page where you see Spider Man climbing up the wall. A lot of people have been very critical of that particular image just for his hands, and I I can't be critical of that. That's just you know, he's reaching so. I don't have a problem yeah. with that. I think that's that's kind of nice. I mean, the the um, I'm not crazy about the kind of the highlights they've done on again on his costume, but other than that, it's the uh, it's, it's it's I don't have a problem with that splash page. Uh, did you guys catch Burns' nod to uh, Kirby there in the Spider logo? Originally, it was blue. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so Burns yeah. does that here too. He he has it colored blue and you'll see that in the first few pages it's Weird. blue um on the first oh. page of the book right under bitter lesson the spider logo on his back i didn't oh, know that okay. i thought that yeah, was yeah. just a, 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 a the light he was just playing with light no. but i didn't realize because <laughs> no, it's it's also on the next page as well yep. yeah. and it was originally blue and they changed it later to red so the first few issues um were blue and then all the reprinting that they've done since then changed it to red, red when they decided to make the change it's better red it needs to be red blue just seems because nothing else is really because the rest of his costume is supposed to be black and just mm-hmm. the blue is the highlight so that you know red that makes then who knows that could have been a coloring mistake i mean and look, yeah so as, yeah. as bitter as i am about the cover it seems i seem to be um i will give burn credit here as we go through the book I mean, he really tried hard. Um, there are almost no splash pages in this book at all, right? There's none of those double-page splash where you get right. you know, a couple characters, right, battling it out, or, you know, just one page with a bunch of balloons. I mean, all, every page is just jam-packed with multiple panels. And he, I was giving this, he, he, tried, to, he tried to do it in a, a, a Ditko style. He kept the, mm-hmm. his look almost to... Well, it's 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 almost a weird combination of Ditko's Parker, but everybody else is dressed modern. So he almost looks like an anachronism in his own book because the sweater vest, 
you know. Right. And yeah. that, so I know he wanted to try to update this whole thing, so it seems like it's happening, I guess, uh, concurrently. You know, comp- you know, Peter gets a computer, not a not a microscope, right? That kind right. of thing. So, um, but that's what it, to me it goes back and forth because some of it seems updated, some of it doesn't. He seems to be uh, kind of slavishly uh, adhering to the you know the, the original uh, text and original uh, artwork. Um, did anybody read the little? You know, there's no letter pages, obviously. This they may read the little. Um, uh, text part in the back by Byrne explaining why he did this and why he was asked to do. I did it. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. Yeah. It was it's, very uh, interesting. And, uh, I appreciate, uh, what he was saying, you know, he's like, uh, yeah, it's the, that he talked about kind of, he didn't without saying it. He's, it was like the, the Marvel sliding timeline. He's like, you know, how long, you know, how do you keep, dealing with the fact that uh, Reed and Ben fought in World War II mm-hmm. when you're like in, you know, 1998, you know, they, they would be ancient by then. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, they, they uh, so you just stop referencing it and you just kind of update, you know, re- rephrase the things. You talk about them being in college instead of in the war or things like that. And I thought that was, yeah, you know, um, it's I think, not that he's trying to change the story. He's just trying to fit it into what we could kind of understand about where where it fits in things. That I think that's just the, the and the sliding timescales seem to be to be. I don't know if that's something the the writers came up with, or it's, it's almost seems to be something the fans kind of decided. This is how we're going to enjoy these these uh, books. It was like an unspoken rule exactly. for so and long. Where Superman was continually twenty nine years old for forever, or thirty five, or yeah, and I think that's fine. I don't think you have to. uh... That's so weird because so am I. (laughs) I am not not aged past past twenty nine. I don't think you need to. uh, I guess my biggest problem with this book is, and the whole series is, did we need it? Did we need to? Because he's not. It's not updating it the way. Love it or hate it, the way the Ultimate Spider-Man did, where it is a, a reboot. It's a different universe. It's a different timeline. Everything is new, and that's a kind of a modern telling of Spider-Man. This seems like they want to have the cake and eat it too. We're gonna, we're kind of gonna update it, but we're not rebooting the whole series, so it still takes place. So I, I couldn't find any commentary, and I know we're we're not doing page by page like we've done in the yeah. past, and I think that's fine. I mean, there's not a lot new here just think of your amazing fantasy 15 right and you kind of bring it into the 90s and and make some changes and we can probably spend more time talking about the the choices that he did make but i couldn't find any commentary and granted i didn't search for like days on end but i spent about an hour trying to find any direct commentary from burn uh, um you know years later right where they kind of feel safer to talk about you know what happened behind mm-hmm. the scenes and was this an editorial you know, mishandling, because to, to, I think all of us on this call, when we think of Superman, it's Burns Superman, right? He, he took that character and said, okay, let me take everything that's good, right, from the last uh, 50 years and take the stuff that's kind of crazy and out there and just either throw it away or find a way to make it work that makes sense, right? Kind of like, um, uh, Brian, you bring up his, uh, 
Burns telling of a like he has a, like a basically like a little energy shield around him. Yeah, uh, the, the double talk aura. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but yeah, he, and, and but getting rid those... of like super aardvark and you know <laughs> super opossum. But so so you know, and I say this all to kind of compare the two in that. Byrne took a lot of chances, and maybe he was given a much longer leash with Superman to, to you know, reinvent the character, um, you know, make things make sense as to what can he do and can't he do, because we all know that Superman, you know, if you read him in the Golden and Silver Age, I mean, he's, he's insanely powerful. Insane. I mean, there's like no limit to what he can do. There, there was a, a comment someone had made, and I, I'm trying to remember where this came from, but it's basically Superman was the character that could kill an entire race by listening too hard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but to, to, to be fair on that, at least that was starting from a point where they had rebooted the entire universe. Crisis yes. had wiped everything out, and they were starting fresh. They didn't yeah. do that here. They're kind of trying mm-hmm. to patch over and plaster parts that you know this feels a little bit like burn i mean and again i don't know what leeway they gave him they said okay well, hey we want you to do for spider-man what you did for for superman and you know here go and but i think the, the, but, the problem that you have with spider-man versus superman is that he wasn't broken you know and i'm just using that term loosely the same way that superman was you know superman was broken because there was so many different versions of him, and can he do this? Can he do that? You know, uh, it, there just wasn't like a, a, a cohesive version of him. Whereas I don't think Spider-Man has ever had that problem. You know, oh, we I... talked about the you know the Clone Saga, but you know Peter Parker as Spider-Man has never had that issue. It's been yeah, pretty and I, I agree. Stable. I don't. And the Clone Saga, I think it's a bad rap. I don't think it's as bad as everybody thinks it is. I have uh, the omnibus. <laughs> I've got. Uh, I got. Yeah, I think I've got the first two. Uh, Which volume of the omnibus <laughs> clone saga? There, and there are like there's eight. two. I think I've, well, I've got two of the omnibus. I think there's yes, one and there's two. That's it. Uh, I'm kidding. To your point of <laughs> DC, oh, I just got it. <laughs> DC did have uh, their continuity was all over the place. So yep. it was not only fixing certain characters; they were trying to fix their whole timeline. Well, Marvel has always had a tight continuity up until a point where they didn't care about it anymore. So they didn't need to do that. And I think this is, I just think this was something that did need to be done unless if, you know, if this introduces a new, a new group of kids or teens or whatever to Spider-Man, then I'm all for it. But I just didn't think this, this feels like Burns saying, well, this is a list of things that always bug me about Spider-Man. You know, I, I read it as a kid and these things always bug me. So I'm going to either explain them or I'm going to do away with them. And, and I like I like how he he you know combined and this is one of the things he says. One of the first things I thought I would reflect uh, I thought would reflect this would be to combine elements where possible. The chameleon working for Doctor Doom, for instance, or Spider Man and Doctor Octopus being born in the same accident. Anything that reduces the number of nuclear accidents in the neophyte Marvel universe surely can't be an altogether bad thing. That's I don't see I don't I don't agree with that I know I I, he, he, he talked well, I about do. I I think you know the number of radiation accidents in early Silver Age Marvel may have been cute and it may have been overlooked by the fans but the fact that he's able to stitch together Doc Ock Spidey the Sandman and I can't remember what other ones that makes a lot of sense to me I think that's brilliant 
I thought that was really cool too. I thought, wow, you know, that's it, it's it, to me it even intertwines the universe, stitches it together a little bit more, and uh, you know, I, I thought that was a really nice touch there to. I, I think if you wanted to, that. you can only do that in hindsight though. If you know, right. yeah, I've got right. these twelve things and I can tie eight of them together. As you're going forward, as as Lee and Dicko were, they didn't know the others were coming down the pike. They didn't know they were going to do radiation for, for uh, you know, Sandman. They didn't know, etc. Well, no, uh, making I mean, it up out of whole cloth as they went. And Bernie yeah, said... talks about that in his uh, respinning the web column that right. he's like, I have the advantage that Jack and Stan didn't, and and Steve Ditko didn't. I know what's happening in 50 issues, 100 issues, mm-hmm. so. I can go back and kind of reweave this stuff to ha- have it be a little bit more well, uh, in continuity. If you want to do that, I mean, uh, uh, one, I don't think you necessarily had to make the universe smaller because I think uh, that one, that was one of the advantages that, that Marvel had over DC was that it always seemed like a, uh, you know, everything is usually based in New York, so everything seemed kind of, you know, close anyway. But right. if I don't know if this came from, because, you know, in the... Um, God, was it the late 80s or was it the early 90s? When Cameron was, was going to do his Spider-Man movie, I think he was going to do it for um, uh, Canon Films, maybe. They were going to have his origin stemming from, just like in this book, there was an experiment that went wrong and Doc became Doc Ock and Peter Parker became Spider-Man at the same time. I don't know if these are, these are related or not. But if you want to have Doc as a... Uh, a, somebody who teaches either at, uh, well, I guess he's a high, if you want to th- say they knew each other, maybe Peter looked up to him like he does in the book. That's fine. But I don't like to have them created at the same time. You know, have, uh, you know, maybe the the spider gets irradiated in that experiment and then and later Peter is there. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how to rewrite it, that- but. Yeah, that would have made a lot more sense, and so I'm on your I'm on your page with that one. I don't like you tying know? things. I mean, that's that's what they do nowadays. Everybody has to, everything has to be related to somebody else. Everybody's know? somebody's cousins, brother, right. uncle. The, the Joker yeah. kills Batman's parents. You know that kind of thing, and uh, it doesn't have to be somebody that you know. Peter could have looked up to Doc Ock and admired him because he wants to be a scientist like him, so that when doc becomes deranged and becomes a criminal then that hurts peter more because like hey here's this great guy and now through new fault of his own he's you know he's got these arms welded to him he's become a maniac um it's not you know and they do they would do that often with uh you know uh going back and it's the same with the burglar i really don't like the way he handles the burglar that that i didn't like as much either i uh that that to me was. So should we talk about that change? Then he he but, needed but, but, a reason why the burglar would go to Uncle Ben's house. Out of all houses and all places, after leaving the studio. But he's just a he's a. But well, right. He's just a. I don't know. I mean, if you have to try to to. It's comic book coincidence. Yeah, he's <laughs> the, a, the he's thing. A... Was, the thing was is that for thirty years. You know, 35 years, it wasn't an issue. And then all of a sudden, it became an issue to a lot of people. You know, as like, it, it didn't bother us in the 80s. We were sitting there going, yeah, the, the burglar found his way there, killed Uncle Ben. And that's when Peter realized, ah, oh, you know, I should have, you know, cared more. 
But, well, they... you know, in years later, someone said, no, that doesn't make sense. Why would you go to that house of all houses? It's chance. Yeah, it's, it's just the Marvel that's, Universe. That's, that's the idea. Well, I mean, if we're going to, I mean, I don't, I don't want to pick on Byrne, but if he mm-hmm. felt the need to correct. Oh, let's do it. He's okay. He'll <laughs> if be fine. He, uh, if he felt the need to correct this, did he, and maybe my memory's slipping, did he do anything about correcting when he took over FF? Because he supposedly, you know, they wanted, you know, he, he he mentions that Marvel came to him to put that back on course. Did he address the fact that, which other people have brought up, is if Reed is so smart, how did he not know that the the shields weren't gonna work on a hold, or did Reed know that the shields weren't gonna hold in order to give them cosmic powers? I mean, that's... Chris Claremont actually dealt with that in X Men. Fantastic Four miniseries. Uh, Chris Claremont wrote it. John Bogdanov uh, drew it. And um, in in that story, uh, there was a, a sequence where, if I'm trying to remember right, Doctor Doom basically planted a diary of Reed Richards that stated he knew it would give them the powers to become the the greatest heroes of the planet, and that 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 based on Reed's calculations, it had to be done for the sake of the world. And, uh, you know, of course, later on, Reed Richards, you know, has that crisis of conscience where he's sitting there going, did I really do this? Did I do that? And that's where Ben Grimm gave Reed the, the, the thing about how being certain is a form of ruthlessness. And it made Reed think maybe he did actually do it on purpose. But ultimately, he comes to the conclusion, no, I didn't write this. And I'm sorry, someone with Reed Richards' intellect has a memory that's like a steel trap in, in those kinds of cases. But, They're but, not going to forget whether or saying, not they did that or not. But Claremont addressed that, not Byrne. Byrne didn't address right. that in his run no, on the didn't. X-Men. I mean, the Fantastic yeah. Four. So. And, and, and I'll just interject one thing here. I don't like the idea of these characters being infallible. Right. So the whole idea of Reed Richards, uh, you know, somehow maybe even unbeknownst to him and a subconscious, you know, creating this scenario where they they would uh, be exposed and be given powers. I, I stick to the classic. Right. It's he's not infallible. Is he incredibly intelligent? Is he I don't know. I think is he number two or number three in the Marvel Universe for intelligence? It doesn't mean that he's flawless. It doesn't mean that he's infallible. Um he can make a mistake. Right, and, and and we have to remember that that was the first issue that Stan and Jack put together, not knowing he was going to be... Right. We, we can look at 50 years of Reed's character development and, and then go point back and go, well, how could you be so stupid? You didn't know yeah. this was going to work. You know, they were writing one... They didn't know if he was going to be continued. So, I mean, it's hard to... It's easy to go back and nitpick, but... Well, um, there's the Stan quote where he says, you know... Um, they weren't setting out to create something amazing like with Spider-Man or Fantastic Four. They just wanted to keep their job. Right. <laughs> you know, they just wanted like, to write, you know. It was a job, you know, like, and they were judged, you know, month to month. You know, I asked, I, I bumped into um, Kurt Swan at a uh, Chicago Comic-Con, and he was in blue jeans and flannel shirt and a very, you know, modest man. And we had a real good conversation in his panel, and I asked him, uh, you know, did you know you were doing something important, something seminal, something that would last the the, the uh, test of time? And he said, no, we were trying to keep meat and potatoes on the table for our family. There was no sense that this was going to be codified or kept or, you know, enshrined. And I think that's that's the point that you're making. You know, Lee and Kirby 
we're, we're just trying to keep the company afloat, keep going, find the new direction. Yeah. yeah. Also, if you read the original FF, number one, in hindsight now, it's extremely cobbled together. It's very clear that it was not written to be the first story for the Fantastic Four, but in fact is a sort of a Tales to Astonish monster story that got grafted into uh, this strange superhero thing. And there's a, if you read it, and the dialogue with Sue and Ben and Reed, there's this tremendous sense of urgency. We've got to beat the commies. The commies are going to get to space first. Let's steal the ship and go today. So I don't view it so much as, as Reed failing as a an over-patriotic rush before everything was tested. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I guess my, my only point was that if Byrne felt the need to correct this and he felt right. this need to be corrected in Spider-Man, he wasn't doing the same thing. Uh, in his own book that uh, and of course there's there's you know several years between the two so you know people can change but uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not I don't again I don't want to try to sound like I'm picking on it I'm just saying some of this I didn't felt needed to be fixed Done. yeah my my issue Tim with it is I have I have always thought that the random encounter you know that randomness of Peter not stopping um, the the you know, criminal that eventually will kill Uncle Ben is that that's the lesson for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. That he can't pick and choose his battles. Right. And so that, that was a huge, had a huge impact on him that, you know, the, the seemingly small thing, if I don't take an action, could have major ramifications somewhere else. And so I think taking the randomness out of that, I think actually hurts him, hurts mm -hmm. his character development. Well, I agree. I Plus think. Because oh, it ruins a, a great story in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 200, where he actually did confront the burglar. Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to bring up. I have not read a that. Great story is it is. Well, it, it it takes a little away from because when when he also I don't I don't well with him being caught in the explosion. Also, he's in you know apparently he's in uh, the hospital for several weeks while everybody else dies. Uh, and they'd say he just keeps and no, getting, and nobody tested for any kind of radiation. Although Vern does say, um, you know, uh, oh, or the doctor says, you know, like, oh, I wish we had some of that DNA testing available to see if your DNA changed. Right, that's something. Yeah, I mean, really, really, like, <laughs> you know, they wouldn't have been like, hey, everybody else is dead, and the mad scientist, or who is now the guy that has to be a mad scientist, we can't find him. He's been whisked so, away. So, so maybe we could get some resources to figure out how this kid isn't dead. In how fact, about, he's actually looking better than he ever has in his whole life. Yeah, just take a <laughs> take a blood sample and send it over <laughs> to somebody else. Nah, uh, Dr. Yeah. Connor, he's he's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, uh, I, yeah, I don't like that, but uh, Peter immediately, when he realizes that he's got powers, he immediately says, hmm, what should I do? There's all these other heroes out there, and they're either being good or bad. What should I do? He doesn't immediately, you know, that takes away a little bit of the the selfishness that I think in the original story that he's just, you know, he's he's put upon everybody, you know, he's he's got his two doting aunt and uncle who, you know, are probably living, you know, at a poverty level. And he's going to, like, look out for number one. I'm going to help them. I'm going to help me because... Poverty level? They're buying him supercomputers left well, and right. Well, 
Well, they're yeah, but they're, they're, they're doing okay. But they're eating out of cans or something. I don't know. <laughs> they're not. They're not they're, <laughs> Everything for the children. <laughs> the children, Ben. You know, and so that when he finally realizes that, hey, I was just looking out for number one. That's cost me. That I, I think your point that it takes a little bit of sting out of it because he does seem to be well. What should I be? Should I be a hero or should I be a bad guy? Right. Um, yeah, like equally, uh, both of them sound equally appealing. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Pays yeah, but better? was he was he even at that point really thinking about him as number one? Wasn't he doing this to get money for Ben and Mary? Yes, he was. What, what, yeah, I mean, he was. He was sitting there thinking about them rather than thinking about everybody else. But that ultimately cost him. You know, I think it's it's their fault though. It is their fault because as you look in the book. They actually have a scene where they're sitting there in TV trays watching dinner while eating. I'm sorry, but families back then, they sat around the kitchen, the the, the dinner table, and they didn't have the TV on. They talked about their day. Mm. So those degrading values. In the man. 90s? <laughs> this I think is, yeah. thinking the 70s, not the 90s. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh, okay. Sarcasm. <laughs> okay, and we never we and we never gave a, a good summary either. So just real quickly, for those listening at home, the book opens with Peter swinging through the 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 uh, skyline, reminiscing, and he's you know I don't want to say he's upset, but he's clearly troubled, and the whole the whole book is mainly him reflecting back on this journey that's brought him to why he's swinging through the air, Let which he's on about, his way real, to go real beat quick, the snikies out of the. Criminal. Uncle Ben looked like an old Jack Kirby. Yes. That's probably on purpose. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. Sorry, I'll shut up now. Don't no, that's up. fine. So, so he, he's swinging through the air and reminiscing, you know, telling the, explaining to the reader everything that's happened, um, you know, here in, in the recent history. And he's, he's um, what we find in the last few pages of the book is that he's, he's hot on the case to go get the, the criminal who uh, killed Uncle Ben. And he's tracking him down because yeah. he knows, you know, and here we actually get, um, you know, some selflessness in terms of him saying, hey, I know that that building, he could hold them off forever, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I can help. I can go in and, and get him. Yeah, I want to read it just a little bit. You were saying he doesn't seem if he was upset. This is from the splash page and this is some of Burns dialogue, which I thought the beginning is a little a little over over dramatic. But he says, uh, the tears that soak his black and scarlet mask are scalding hot, heated by the fires blazing in the soul of a young man who has just seen his world come to an end. So that's that's what's motivating him as he's swinging around and reminiscing about all this stuff. So, uh, Let's see. Yeah, in the uh, some of the criticism of this book, um, outside of what we're talking about, which, by the way, this is all in love, right? So if we, I think... Um, Tim had mentioned that, you know, you can like, you know, a certain writer or artist or, or t you know, a team, but not like everything that they've done. Uh, and I think that's going to be the case with, with this series for most people. It's not it's not bad. It's just not as good as it could have been. Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, Byrne is doing what Byrne does when, when he gets on to... Uh, a book like this this of course this is a flashback series this is giving you you know it's like the director's cut so to speak where it's giving you all the behind the scenes stuff and extra things here and there but above and beyond all that he's modified his art style a little bit here 
so that it is more Ditko-esque. And I like that. I and yeah, I, I, that. I like that too. I like the art in this one so much more than what's yeah. going on in Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And <laughs> it, the, the, the printing of it, everything that they did on this uh, was, was so much better than what was going on. And now I will agree with you that the way he does the building silhouettes, I really didn't like that. Mm-mm. Um, you know, the, on the front cover, on the last page, and, and you know, in other areas right. when you see those building silhouettes, there's something really ugly and yeah. you know, not 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 nice about it. But as far as making this look like you know an extension of Ditko's work, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing to uh, point out here from the letter or from the page that he talked about his intro because and maybe i'm misunderstanding but it sounds like people are like oh yeah burn wanted to do this blah blah blah. he was asked to do that marvel wanted this concept and they came to him according to john burn in in the thing so just like with superman when they told him reboot superman here's how we want you to do it and now he's getting the blame as if you know yeah um burn just wanted to come in and mess everything up and like I'm not quite on board with that accusation. <laughs> um, we, you know, right, maybe I, he took things in ways we didn't like it, but you know, he was he was tasked with a project, which was bring about, update the origin, probably in anticipation of ASM, and the going into the uh, the new stuff they were doing, just to kind of bring people on. But um, I can't fault him too much for doing what they asked him to do well he's kind of he was kind of stuck in a i think in a in, in a bad way yeah because, this is this is an unwinnable right because you either you're not re, it's not a total it's not a, a clean slate reboot like uh, mm-hmm. ultimate is or, or he did a superman and i don't know how much uh, he talks about it in the book he says he wanted to know how much he could keep and how much he had to alter and how much he could just jettison and he said a lot of it he could keep so he does keep uh, a great deal of this so either Either he does one, he doesn't change anything, and it's basically just burn redrawing uh, Amazing Fantasy, which is would be cool, but what's the point? Or mm-hmm. he has to change something to validate doing it, and he probably changed what he thought he could, and it just, I guess, you know, like me, it's rubbing me the wrong way. It just I thought, well, this, I'm more about, I don't think he wanted to come in here and start uh, messing things up and figured it was, you know, I'm sure people were thinking well burn just what's it coming there and it's his way and you know he he knows better and he has to do it his way so i think this is just if he wants to jump on and do the asm when they rebooted it's fine but i don't don't think we needed this series of books Mm. but the the sales on this book was actually really good so much so they asked him to do chapter two yeah and apparently turned that down well he didn't want to be what what did he say stan lee's scribe is uh <laughs> is yeah, what he ouch. said that, that 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 would be his epitaph at that point because he is hampered unlike superman where he could probably do pretty much whatever he wanted to here he does have to because he's not redoing the entire continuity he's he's kind of stuck with doing certain things that he can't mm-hmm. change so that so it's really a minor retcon beyond above and beyond anything else that's all yeah it's very minor it's just it's again, just an it's, update yeah. yeah it's just an update to try to update bring it to uh well i mean look what he's doing with elsewhere you know he says that's it takes place back in the 80s when he was doing the book but it's also 
modern current, day. Modern day. So he's so he's kind of doing that here with this. He's you know updating uh, some of the clothing and the fact that you know Pete's got a computer and some of the cars look more updated and. Um, he doesn't have any computer. He has Super Pro. <laughs> it almost looked like a TRS-80 to me. It probably is. So if, this, so if this goes through, what, 13 issues? I don't recall reading the whole series, although I'm sure I bought it. How many villains or how many issues of Lee Ditko did Byrne address before he ended Chapter 1? First 20? And the first... Uh... Spider-Man 1 through 20 and make the first annual. Yeah, and the other thing that they did in these, and it's not apparent in this, is that each issue cliffhangered in the middle of the actual issues in the books. Yeah, that annoyed me something terrible, but I... But that's, you know, they did that in the Galactus trilogy when Galactus first showed up, so it's not without precedent. Yeah. Mm. So, it's key. I, I'm sorry. I, I was trying to keep, shift to the next book. Yeah. Well, before we go, I was going to say, like, on page 23, I really love that collage of uh, the different uh, touching All on the different the parts. Universe. Yeah. Yeah. So you got you got Lumpy Thing <laughs> uh, with Johnny there, which was really cool. X-Men in their original costumes, even Cyclops with his very thin... Uh, Jordy LaForge looking visor and black and yellow costumes. I, I really, <laughs> I really like the attention to those details that he brought forth with that. That was that was pretty and cool. I want Doctor Strange's TV. I want that his looks chair. Really That's cool. pretty awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the chair is awesome too. Yes. In fact, <laughs> but, yeah, who's the, the little flying great. thing there at the front? Who is that? Is that a character? Is that? I don't. Looks like Tinkerbell. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what that's supposed to be, um, but but right, so here's my. I'll just since uh, we want to move on to the next one, my overall remembrance of the series, because I I this is this is one that I bought and and had all the issues and then something happened to them I don't know, because um, uh, I liked it I thought it was really cool, uh, the he, I thought it was really neat to revisit the origin. Uh, the way that he kind of tweaked, I didn't agree with all of the tweaks, you know, of course, but uh, I did enjoy rereading this stuff. And I'm probably one of the few that actually do like the chapter one series. And I did like how he brought, you know, the homages that he paid to the original stories. He he did it with care and uh, some of the re relooking at it so that it would definitely fit in with uh, a you know, within the last, you know, back then, you know, within the nineties type of aspect of it. So redesign of Electro and the other characters. And yeah, overall, I liked it. I thought it was a good, I thought it was a good fun read. Uh, I didn't mind that it revisited all of the old stuff that I read as a kid. Um, That was a long time ago. So yeah, I, I had a good experience with it. So I, I really like it. This, as I mentioned at the beginning, has been shuffled off and was shuffled off halfway through the series uh, to Earth 98121 in the Marvel Universe. Wow. And it is it is its own, you know, reality, right? Its own universe uh, where just the Spider-Man from the series and his cast of characters, uh, you know, reside. Uh, so it kind of ties back into the, uh, you guys had covered one of the Superman 
Elseworld issues. I think this book, and this is just my opinion here, I think this book is more enjoyable if you approach it as a as an Elseworld story type of story. You know, when when uh, the movies started coming out, um, the the various comic book movies over the years, I found, and I, I found I did this while reading chapter one, uh, like I do during all these movies, is that. I've, it's like I've got this mental checkoff going in my head. Yes, they did that right. Yes, they did that right. No, I didn't like that. Put it to the side. No, I didn't like that. Did Put you say checkoff or checklist? No, it's like yeah, it's like a checklist in my head. I thought you, you know, said checkoff. Like... You have a checkoff in your head. <laughs> he said a checkoff list. Okay. Yeah, with the nuclear vessels. The nuclear vessels. Give us a nice Victor Victor too. Okay. We never liked it in Russia. <laughs> but you know, it's it's just uh, it, as I sit there and I watch these things, like okay, yes, they got that right. Yes, they got that right. No, they did not get that right, and I don't like that. But I mean, you know, there's not much you can do beyond that. You can do like Emily Middleton says and put it in your head canon as to what it really is. Exactly. As as a comic, I think it's the first thing you have to. I think you need to develop as a comic reader, at least a long time reader. You have to be able to adjust your headcanon because it doesn't... I don't think this needed to be shunted off into its own, okay, well, this thing happens. Like, you know, there's not so many changes here that you can't, like, okay, I'm going to ignore that and I'm going to believe what I want to believe and then keep reading. You don't have to... If you get bogged down in all the minutia, you're never going to enjoy anything. But I do not disagree with that at no. all. Well, you got to be flexible. You and great art throughout. I think if nothing else, it's great art. It's really, oh, I like are it. Are you trying to set us up for the next book where there's some, some questionable art? Yeah. <laughs> just, just trying to be a stormtrooper. Move along. Move along. <laughs> keep missing the target. <laughs> there is something to see here <laughs> at this one. <laughs> mm. Well, our next book is the amazing Spider-Man number one, first spectacular issue. Um, I'm surprised I didn't put collector's item somewhere on on the cover. Uh, this this came out uh, almost a month exactly after Spider-Man Chapter One, Number One. This book is written by Howard Mackey. We've got pencils by John Byrne. Inker is Scott Hanna. Uh, our colorist is Gregory Wright, and then we've got Richard Starkings uh, uh, as our letterer. You mean Ringo? Now there, what? No. <laughs> Richard Stark. I said you mean Ringo. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what I was thinking. <laughs> the uh, synopsis for this book and the, the title of this issue is "Where Are You, Spider-Man?" And of course, it's got the hip, uh, almost two thousand uh, lingo, and it's "Where" the normal word, and then "R" the letter "R," and "You" uh, the letter "U," Spider-Man, because you know, writing "Where are you?" would be too, you know too much. So uh, our synopsis goes as such. The human torch flies into the sky to make a, a flaming message saying, where are you, Spider-Man? Meanwhile, at Peter's new apartment, paid for by Mary Jane's modeling money, mm -hmm, Peter sees the torch's message. He thinks about his superhero days and turns his back on them thinking his new greatest responsibility is taking care of his family. Daredevil is on the streets fighting crime. He doesn't notice the message until the thug he's beating up tells him about it. He realizes that Spidey is gone because of the recent rise in street crime. Across the city, Captain America sees the fading message. He respects Spider-Man's work and returns to the Avengers training session. 
The whole team describes their view on Spider-Man and what he did. At the Daily Bugle, Jameson is still not satisfied with Spider-Man's disappearance. He wants to dig up every dirty secret Spider-Man has. Pete comes in with photos, and here's Jameson's tirade. Suddenly, Robbie informs Betty and Peter of Scorpion's attack across town. Peter puts off the assignment, and Betty goes to take the pictures herself. Scorpion is reeking, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, wrecking downtown trying to find someone. Scorpion gets frighteningly close to Brant, but suddenly a red and blue clad Spider-Man jumps in and saves Betty. The Scorpion easily uh, bests this Spider-Man, and a part of the building falls on top of the hero. A little while later, Peter meets a Terry Kwan at Tricorp and is applying for a job. He is being shown around the building while he thinks about the fact that the Scorpion is someone else's problem now. Just then, when Peter is being shown another lab, the Scorpion attacks and blows up a wall. Peter goes around and takes people out of harm's way. Walt, an employee of Tricorp, is stuck under the Scorpion's attack. Peter goes over there and brings down a part of the building on the Scorpion's head. He is phased for a moment till he realizes the pulsating light on his wrist bioscanner. As it turns out, he was looking for Peter himself. He is about to lay waste to Peter when suddenly the new Spider-Man jumps in. The new Spider-Man is noticeably worse at fighting. Peter finds some cords and gets Javier, another Tricorp employee, to help set up some cords and a generator. Peter lassos Scorpion's arm and electrocutes him. Peter grabs the new Spidey by the arm and asks the hero who's under the mask. Spidey says, I can't tell you that. That's why it's called a secret identity. He swings off just as the CEO of Tricorp, Dr. Ted Twacky, <laughs> asks to talk with Peter. Peter returns home. Aunt May asks him about his day, and Peter says he got the job. They approach to hug, and Aunt May says that Uncle Ben would be proud of him. A silhouette of Spidey appears as they both embrace. And that's brought to us courtesy of the Marvel Wikia database. Nicely done. Where should we begin? Do you want to touch on the cover on this one since we started on the cover of chapter one? This has, two, heads. this has two different covers because <laughs> yeah the variant mania the one you sent me brian is different than the one i pull i apparently i had this one after all it is different the one i've got is spidey kind of swinging over the statue of liberty with a spider sim signal below him ah. like, i like, hate that cover yeah it's not as good as the other one it doesn't make any sense yeah, it's it's just I don't know if, it, and it's, if it's a variant or you know maybe you know maybe it they, it is it's it's a variant. This should have been a maybe this should have been a holographic cover uh, or embossed or both. The uh, the cover that I have is not that one, and I haven't seen it, but uh, it's a great cover. I love it. it. It wasn't this a very isn't this an homage or uh, after the style of one of the um, uh, Marvel Treasury Giants. I think it's it's very John Romita style, um, but it's I can't think of who also did a variant with his son for this number yeah. one issue. Yeah, Romita Junior uh, was on this book, right? This is kind of again my memory of this era is vague. So, did Romita come off the book as Byrne kind of came on? Well, I think this is where Romita got Romita Junior got a lot of his. Uh, you know, credit for being a, a good artist following in his father's footsteps. 
Well, that was uh, in the original Amazing Spider-Man yes. from the 80s, 70s well, and 80s. Well, yeah, the, the continuing series. Because some people refer to this Amazing Spider-Man number one as Amazing Spider-Man number 442. Because mm-hmm. it's not it's not too long after this, you know, a few years where they switch back. Back to the numbers. Yeah, to the original numbering with issue number 500. Yeah. And they just and they and they keep it there. Well, they did that with all their books, which drove me crazy. It's like, you know. Yeah, but at least for a while they were putting both numbers on there, you know, yeah. so you could see, you know, it was number two or it was. Yeah, this. my collection's messed up thanks to that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you put the books in where they should be, or do you have them in their own separate slot? <laughs> okay, you're gonna give me a headache now. Just you know. Move along. Move along. <laughs> can we can we address something real quick here? This when I first read this, at first I thought, oh, what did Byrne do in this? He wasn't the artist. Did he write it? And it's like, no, Howard Mackey wrote it. And then I went back and said, no, he drew it. And and Scott Hanna inked over it. So I don't know if Byrne adjusted his style or if Scott Hanna came along and kind of screwed with Just it. Just steam steamrolled him with the something inks. because it does. When I first I, thought I, this, I, I thought this is this looks like Bagley. Well, to me, it is, again, you know, like well, when he was on Chapter 1, he did it in the style of Ditko. And when he took over, you know, the pencils on Amazing, you know, they're loose pencils. He and Mackie did the Marvel style of coming up with the plot. He did the breakdowns, and then Hannah comes back and does the ink. So I think that, you know, you can definitely see Burn more in this first issue than you do in the later issues. In the later issues, he's it's definitely less... I see... I see Byrne peeking through, but like that first shot of Mary Jane, I thought that looked like Alan Davis. And then the rest of the composition, (laughs) the rest of the composition looks like Bagley, the way he was, even the layouts and the character design. And because Ultimate Spider-Man, it was uh, the, 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 but but that was at the same time Ultimate Spider-Man was coming out, wasn't it? I don't think so. It came out in the 2000s, didn't it? Oh, okay. Yeah, like 2004. I yeah, think. but Bagley I mean, had been doing, is, but Bagley had done yeah. Spider-Man before that. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like he's going with the 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 style that they want to maintain on the book. And that's usually uh, they. I thought they'd stop doing that by now. They they used to do that. One artist coming in would kind of emulate the old artist. It's kind of as a, I guess to ease the transition. But mm-hmm. this is almost. Remember we covered Starbrand and he did the rough yeah. pencils and Palmer came along and I thought this doesn't really look like Burn. Right, that's same that's what here. I get here. This is uh, uh, Lo- loose, loose pencils. Right, very loose. Some, some if, of this now even if, reminds me of uh, John Romita Jr.'s work. I'm, like I'm looking at the page with Peter and Aunt May. If if I didn't know who was on this book at all, I'd look at that and I'd say, "Oh, that's John Romita Jr." Well, <laughs> is this where like, they're sitting on the couch and she? Yeah, like he's a eating a sandwich. sandwich. Yeah. I, I'm looking at that. I'm like, oh my gosh. To me, the art the artwork in this book was very inconsistent. It does. Uh, it kind of it does change. Uh, it changes back and forth, um, and I, I absolutely hate the Scorpion's costume. It looks yeah. like an action figure. It's like, oh, we designed this Second toy pair. to sell. Make the costume, <laughs> the book look like that. That was well, the what, toy what, era. <laughs> well, yeah. Was, well, why yeah. don't we touch on that? So, uh, the cover for Amazing Spider-Man number one, as we've um, went around, there are multiple variants of this. The main cover is a uh, yellow and orange, you know, gradient wraparound cover. So this is front and back. Um, the main uh, front cover is Spider-Man um, with his, you know, cast of characters, uh, you know, uh, Mary Jane himself. And they're, but they're all floating heads. 
And then the back part of the cover is the folks that we see in the issue. So you've got like the FF, you've got the Avengers, and then yes, you've got the the '90s extreme version of Scorpion um, with uh, you know a, a chrome or like a, a black chrome armor and uh, small sections of green. Yuck! And then of course <laughs> you you have the new cast of uh, side characters. Yep, Walt Thorsden. Oh, gee, that's. Uh... Yeah, but that that one just kills me. Uh, and I also wanted to ask, did you guys read the Secrets of Spider-Man at the very back? Yeah. Yes. It was just what, four pages. Is is that right? It was just four yeah. pages. Yeah, that's all burn. Now, that looks like burn art. That's him. That's yeah, him doing everything. That's definitely all burn. But you know, you notice how he went backwards on his thing design. So his thing design is more like it was uh, after he'd gone all rocky, but not quite that triangular look that he gave him as he was later on the Fantastic Four. Right. But I still like that. The update on Doc Ock, though, is That's, boy, he really looks uh, cyberpunk. That that looked again. That looks like a toy design. Um. And some of it, this just feels, I mean, I know we're kind of jumping to the back, but he, when he's yeah. looking at all his books about, and it, it, Bernie established this, that he'd already been working on his polymer, you know, his webbing design before he came, became Spider-Man. So it's, so I guess that corrects the, the notion that, oh, I came up with this overnight. Um, and, you know, the, him, uh, some of the other stuff that he'd already come up with, uh, and the fact that Doc Ock could break his string that he hit the webbing that he had to then have to redesign it in his. I like his so was, that, was, that, was he, that where he had the part where he said, you know, he had invented that, but it was a solution waiting for a problem? Exactly. Did he have beat post it notes or when did they. No, that was 77. That's yeah, way He way also invented it. liquid paper. Yep. <laughs> no, that's, that's a monkey's mother. <laughs> That's a monkey's mother. Well, I, I think in one of in one of the Spidey books, he talks about that if he ever gave up, he would. I mean, think about it. He could sell his. He was going to sell his invention to like 3M or something as a new adhesive or a tape or something. Well, that... he tried to sell. I mean, if you go way back to the Ditko days, he did try to sell the webbing formula. It wasn't permanent. But because it, you know, just gave up after a certain amount of time, they're like, that's useless to us. Yeah, but he, nobody, but that needs, was... a, nobody needs a temporary glue, which is stupid because everybody needs a temporary glue. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you, you, you tell me you, they couldn't develop a web gun for the police. Instead of a taser, you zap them. It holds the crook. That way you can handcuff them or take them back. Then it all dissolves away. It's very green. It's, it's yeah. for the story, but yeah. 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 Well, didn't they do that with a story with the trapster at one point, framing him, smothering somebody, <laughs> killing somebody, and, and uh, framing Spider-Man? Paste Pot, Pot Pete. Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Paste Pot Pete. That's his name. That's right. That's right. Well, that there's, a, there's that great FF story where it's all from his point of view where he's breaking in. Yeah, and then he gets, well, the robot he gets, gets him. and he gets captured by the, uh, yeah, the robot, robot secretary. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I was so amazed that the scourge didn't get him. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're sure enjoying this story, aren't we? Uh, Dan? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know the funny, the funny thing is, and I have to give credit to Burn because uh, we beat him up so badly on the on the uh, the previous book's cover. I like this one a lot. If it wasn't a wraparound cover, I would like 
I like it more. It's just just the front cover, and yes, I'm not a huge fan of the floating heads, but this this cover is much better uh, than the the chapter one cover. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, going back to this. Well, there's... I had a... go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I, I was just going to say that I agree with you. The art does jump around quite a bit, and I think I had sent a couple of them uh, that I found personally <laughs> very egregious, um, and I'm sure we'll get to them at some point. But I, I like the way that this book opens a lot better than Chapter One. Um, you know, the, the the first page of the book is the Statue of Liberty. You get the flames in the background from the Human Torch writing out, you know, where are you, Spider-Man? And we've got the Fantastic Four and the Fantastic Car, um, you know, and Ben talking about how, you know, the crowd is gathering, right, because <laughs> Hothead is up there, or Flamehead is up there, you know, uh, uh, doing his sky riding, and they're flying in the car, and, um, you know, they're basically informing the reader, kind of catching him up as to, to what happened and when was the last time they saw Spider-Man. I really like those first two pages, uh, I guess three, and then and things kind of It's fall a nice apart. little bit of continuity because that's their kind of their meeting spot was the statue that that they mm-hmm. that's what they were uh, usually meet. Um, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, now, I don't I, I don't really have a problem with the art other than I thought well this doesn't look like burn. Other than that, it doesn't look. There's a few places that are kind of wonky, but other than Good that, book. I don't um, I don't have a problem with uh, with the art other than some of the costume designs. Oh. Well, yeah, if you're just looking at it from generic, from the art, um, the art's fine. But if you're saying this is John Bernhardt, <laughs> then it's yeah, like, it yeah. throw me off. I, w- I wouldn't have guessed that if I just read it, not knowing who uh, uh, who wrote it. And I don't, again, I don't know if that's Scott Hanna's uh, contribution. Um, yeah. I got questions about that, but how far was I talking before you get before I dropped? <laughs> oh, have you? Have you been, You've talking? been talking? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was talking and then we I were... just dropped. <laughs> well, I guess I, I guess, guess I didn't even mention any of that. So I got a question about page. Um, what is that? Uh, it doesn't even say what page it is, but it's the page where uh, the you see the Avengers and you see the Scarlet Witch in her gypsy outfit and the hammers going through uh, Thor's hammers going through the Vision. And Captain America's got this hugely surprised look with the speed lines going away from him down at the bottom. I never noticed him before. Yeah, he looks like, what's going on? Yeah, it's like, I can't see her butt, so it's not like he's (laughs) looking at her, but that's what he looks like he's looking at. No, I think he's looking at Ben going, she's got a a huge head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's the biggest head I've ever seen. Was anybody ready? I was exposed to some red kryptonite. I wasn't reading the Avenger at this point. Does this was this the lineup? Was she dressed this way? Yes, yes. This was yeah, the Buziak is... Perez Avengers, and it was a great run that they had for the first couple years. Well, that looks like yeah, she's, Perez she's hair she's for in sure. A gypsy outfit. I hated the gypsy outfit, yes, but so did uh, I. Yeah. And what's up and... with the Vision? It says he's a holograph. Was he? He's not intangible. He's he's a, is he a holograph now? What what's? Yeah, yeah, I don't even it, remember. It just, yeah, he just no. passed through his hologram form. I think that's a way of saying he's intangible. They're just saying he's, he's intangible. intangible. Yeah. Okay. And who's the yeah, Astro some... guy? The guy in the the blue and the yeah. white. That's Vance Astro from the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, he Calling used to have a justice. Okay. He, he's, he's a wannabe Avenger, though, because he's there with uh, Firestar. Yes. 
Yeah, they recruited them into for, for like uh, like they wanted to train the next group of superheroes oh, and Justice and, and Firestar got to be a part of the team. So that's Firestar and in the I, background. Okay. Yeah. And I noticed that Iceman shows up a couple issues later. Do they bring back the whole Spider Friends? Do they get them together? Don't remember it. <laughs> in the Avengers or in Spider Man? I don't. Spider Man. I mean, it, it just you know he brings in Iceman at one point, so you figure you got to bring Firestar. Do they that get an apartment and those high tech equipment? I didn't and Mrs. Read. Lyons, the cat, Mrs. Lyons. Don't forget her. Uh. <laughs> now on the page before that, though, where they got that that profile shot of Captain America. That almost looks like a Karen Dwyer Captain America shot to me, rather than Burn. Yeah. Yeah, see, if, if you didn't know who drew this, you'd go through and say, oh, they're homaging Burn here. Yeah. <laughs> Not that he did the layouts. Yeah, because like on the, the next page after the Avengers, when you see Jonah, that looks like Romita Jr. Jonah. Yeah. Maybe it and, was a many hands project. It is. No, they, they would say they would say so. No, this is really it's Burn and Hannah. And I think Hannah is trying to elicit certain styles and such from the loose pencils. Yeah, maybe he may have yeah. more of a. Um... I like that the that they're bringing uh, Mary Jane to her classic look with the straight hair, the you know that classic look that that, that she had originally because it was McFarlane that kind of gave her the Farrah Fawcett hair and uh, while I love Farrah Fawcett that look just didn't work for me for Mary Jane. I like I, Mary Jane's look is very distinctive that I grew up with. And so yeah. I, I like well, this distinctive. Look Eric, for Eric Larson gave her a huge head of hair too. Oh, it was, yeah. maybe it was Eric Larson. <laughs> he may have followed on that. No, Larson. It, it was, it was McFarlane that did that initially. I mean, you know, John Byrne has always kind of followed that John Romita, not uh, junior, but senior John Romita, senior models of yeah. the characters and John Romita's model of Mary Jane has always been like the, the quintessential Mary Jane. Yeah. Well, if we're talking uh, we, about different, it was art patterned things. after Anne Margaret. Anne yes. Margaret. I can see yes. that. Yeah. 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 That's who Def Romita Def was basing her on. Definitely My question is in this, that. this pinup shot of her as she's calling him, oh. he gave her the long legs. Yeah. She looks like she's about eight feet tall. Yeah. Initiated. <laughs> yeah, I I am not a fan of, you know, when when artists make you know every female character look like they're waifs, you know, or that they're anorexic, especially following up on, you know, uh, on uh, 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 I'm blanking now. Um, Peter eating his triple quadruple, you know, Decker sandwich. And then it's like, can someone get Mary Jane some food? Like, <laughs> well, she, clearly she hasn't eaten for like two weeks. Late 90s, that was heroin chic era of uh, modeling. So they had to look like they were thin and emaciated. No, seriously, they did. I Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as a, as a uh, someone, you know, in their teenage years in the 90s, it was not a great time. Um, is that, do you guys think that the the guy in the background... Kind of looking at uh, at MJ there, does he look a little burn esque to you? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what the I bushy thought. Bushy mustache, I mm -hmm. would. No, he he reminds me of somebody else. I'm just not able to. Yeah, Burns never really... drawn himself with a mustache. He always gives himself a beard. Yeah. Um, because it's funny. Before they said Walt Thorsden when they were introducing Pete to the staff, um, I was like, 
you know, that's that. Oh, there's the burn type character here. Yep. And then, and then of course, no, no, it's Walt Thorsten. So that was, I said, oh, okay, well, that, that's Walt Simonson. <laughs> well, then who are the others supposed to be? I picked up on, on Simonson pretty quick. Okay, Stan Hardy is just Laurel and Hardy. Stan Laurel, is that, is that... Oliver Hardy. Oh, okay, yep. okay. But yeah, as far as the physical characteristics, I don't know if that's like Laurel ate Hardy or... <laughs> Or what? <laughs> Looks like I, I thought he was the blob for a minute on the front cover. He does look a bit like the blob, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, the, and then immediately I, I after the, the must—I think that guy with the mustache back there is Sam Elliott. <laughs> immediately after they introduced Stan Hardy, he says, "Whoa, seems like you've got a pretty well-rounded team here, Jerry." <laughs> oh, please. Now Chantel Stone—that's a stripper name, but uh, oh, she's put in. I just noticed she's in a, in a wheelchair. Is she they, supposed yeah. to be disabled, or is she just invented this thing? I wonder. Uh, no, I, it's like she's disabled because Peter's having to carry. She has no legs. Yes, below the, the next knee. Page, panel oh, I couldn't tell. Yeah. But uh, you know, the the first image she reminded me of Vivica Fox from uh, um, Independence Day. Oh yeah, she doesn't have any legs. No, that could easily be Jada Pinkett too, back in the day. And uh, and when when Peter grabs Terry off the ground, that's that's an HR violation right there. Um, <laughs> when? When he's grabbing her, he's like grabbing her on the waist. Uh, yeah. Because the scorpion sticks into attack. Um, he hadn't been hired yet. I know. Not gonna get so hired just... now. <laughs> well, I think this is why they hired him. He obviously leapt into action. That's right. Well, he think he he, can, he says he I can think on my feet. That's what uh, that's what them. Yeah, even when they're on the roof, or the ceiling, or the it's, rebar. It, this is gonna be spoiled. No, no. This is gonna this be spoilers. Just... So let's let's we're gonna ask spoilers right here because I don't remember reading the rest of this. Who is this Spider-Man turn out to be? It was, was the Spider Girl or Spider Woman of the no. day. No. Yes. Yes. Wait a minute, because when he appears here the second time, there's no bust. There is yeah, no breast. That, that's stressed. Read, read, read the later issues, you're going to see that it is a very small girl in a padded outfit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Spider. She's, she's yeah. just got him wrapped. The spider girl yeah. from from. She's a new spider girl. Yeah. Okay. It's not. It's not May Day. It's um, okay. I forgot her name. Um, yeah. Amazing Spider-Girl, where she gets the well, zero they, issue. They gave her her own series, spider yeah. uh, She became yeah, Spider-Woman. Yeah, I think you remember that. Because he yeah. says at one point, she seems like she's flying more than swinging. Yeah. So I guess she can... Um... I love the educational point to this, this issue. Because it's like, you know, for years, I've heard the term of rebar as the metal that they stick through concrete and such. Yes. Did not realize it was supposed to stand for reinforcement bar. Okay. Which, <laughs> which they get we we get during the fight with the the scorpion. He refers yeah. to it as reinforcement bar. I didn't realize that that's what it stood for. I was like, why do they call it rebar? But I never looked into it. Well, that's okay. I, I used to I heard the term retcon for a long time before I realized what it was, <laughs> or what it stood for. See, comics um, are educational. Yeah, they same. are. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. If yes. you're not careful, you may learn something. <laughs> yeah. Trying to remember, um, does, does the Scorpion ever realize that Parker's the same Parker he was looking for back when he got turned into the Scorpion? 
Because in, 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 in the original Scorpion origin, his first job, Jameson initially hired him as a private detective to follow Peter to find out how Peter got the amazing pictures of Spider-Man. Hmm. That's an excellent know. question for the next show. Yeah. Follow up and research it. I did, I did want to uh, call back to you. We had mentioned Eric Larson and uh, John Romita uh, Jr., so Byrne draws the first 18 issues of of this new Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. which must be like a sweet spot for him because he usually he kind of stays between like that 20 to 30 issues, and then you know, he, I don't know if he gets tired or he wants to do something else. Now he um, he got fed up. He got fed up. See, the thing is, is that he they were going to be doing these continuing storylines, but you know that Spider Books has Amazing Spider-Man. Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, and then Adjectiveless Spider-Man. And he's like, well, we're just going to be doing stories in ours and we're not going to cross over, right? Uh, Peter Parker's going to be more this and all that. And then it turned out they would never complete a full story arc in the book. It would always be going around through the other books. And he just didn't want to do that anymore. Well, they could have... did they put out that omnibus yet? I, I haven't I haven't looked for that. There was an amazing Spider-Man omnibus that's supposed to cover that uh, that period. And is it just the, the incomplete stories, or does it actually? No, complete? they 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 wouldn't do that in an omnibus format. They would mix and match <laughs> issues. I do have a I do have an Eric Larson Spider-Man omnibus. They put out just his his run. I like yeah, Larson a lot. I, I liked his I like his run on it. Um, I like his art style. I know a lot of people don't like it, but um, well, Eric, says, Eric Larson took over for Byrne on this book, and then it went back to Ramita Jr. So the the three uh, of them kind of rotated in that same Spider-Man orbit, yeah, in, in the '90s and then the early 2000s, just to kind of interconnect hmm. everybody. Well, so, I'm, so, this this may have quick... to go back and reread these. Spider-Man from this story. It's actually it's uh, Maddie Franklin, and she was created by John Byrne. And she did have her own series, a Spider-Woman series, and I do remember picking that up and and liking it. Um, I don't have the I don't have them anymore either. They must have gotten in a purge at some point where I was like, ah, eh, I'm done with all this. I need to I need space, and they all went out. But um, but uh, I do recall picking up the Spider Woman series because I like I kind of like the ideas that they had in it. Um, Madam Web was in it. Uh, Jessica Carpenter was uh, kind of in it uh, as well. So it was it was kind of an interesting series. Did she hit kind of an open face goggle design yeah, with her yeah. open hair and, the, and kind the of spider, black and red? The spider logo on That's, her cover yeah, was yeah. kind of. Uh, similar to the new Spider-Man logo and kind of, of the Ven- Venom crossover on the black costume, not the not Venom, but the uh, symbiote costume. That's kind of the logo that she had on there. Yeah, it was black and red. Oh yeah, she, there, she's on the cover of issue fourteen, and she's wearing that kind of black costume. Well, it's more blue. Yeah, where she's kissing Peter. It reminds me of Psylocke, actually. A little uh, bit. A bit, yeah. Where you, when you look at the last, the end page, Peter's hugging Aunt May, but his shadow being cast against the web, is that not the symbiote costume? Yeah. 
Looks in, like in, it. Well, the, the spiders, they didn't have the wraparound chest, big chest spider. No, nah, that's just the shadow of Spider-Man standing over that's them, a, always affecting his life, even though... That's just a Ditko thing. Yeah, that's just... Yeah. They would do that all yeah. the time. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Or is that coming from Aunt May and not Peter? Mm. <laughs> when when Aunt May was Spider-Man? Or Spider-Woman? <laughs> What if Aunt May became Spider Woman? I think that was a little what if thing. She was well, better right. as the Golden get, Oldie. Didn't she yes, get yes, the Galactic yeah, at one point? Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Golden Oldie. She was Galactus's herald. She became yeah. Galactus' herald. Yeah, that was great. She, and, but she didn't have to stay that way because she found the giant twi- tinky, Twinkie maker. Okay. You know that was able to make her Twinkies to the end of end of time. Did this, uh, Those preservatives, uh, man. And they actually yeah, sold that issue. It was assistant editor's month and it was brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Did uh this doesn't have ads in it. The one I'm looking at doesn't have like the ads and stuff. But mine does. I think in chapter one there was an ad for uh and again this is I'm I'm, not, I'm misremembering all this. When he for a while he stopped being Spider Man and he was four other identities. He was um the stinger and he was uh What? Right, he yeah, became yeah, four other. There were variant covers that would feature either Spider-Man or one of the alternates. Right, so, and for some reason he couldn't be Spider. Yeah, it's <laughs> Toy Biz. It's uh, what was it? It's Avi Arad and Toy Biz had to uh, re- refresh my memory. Of Superman toys. just redressed. <laughs> no, refresh I'm my memory, Tim wasn't wasn't the reason for that because the whole uh, the premise was if he had made different choices. Was I don't remember. I, I tell you, there's some stories I didn't read, or I just remember him donning his ex- other costumes, fighting crime as other characters, and then ultimately when he went back to Spider-Man, I think somebody else picked up some of those and became those actual characters. But I don't now remember the reason why uh, he had to not be Spider-Man. I mean, obviously he's always been hunted by the law. But that's I remember that him, so. they had those characters, but I didn't follow them. They they weren't interesting to me. That's, that's a big that's a big fog for me for that era. Of They're still in your stack of books that you stuff. haven't read. Well, they brought they. Oh yeah, I, trust me, I've got boxes of stuff. Norman Osborn in a five-part arc that Byrne was at the helm of something about the power, where each one of the five or the six people around the circle got different gifts. Yeah, is, and that was, this that is was just prior to this. It's, and, uh, I mean, it's leading into it. The storyline here is leading into it, as I understand. But didn't nor, wasn't Norman Osborn also in the last issue of Amazing before it restarted the renumber? Yeah, that was the the one yeah. or the whatever the story arc that that finished that up, and this kind of jumps off on that. Um, well, I hated the idea that they brought back Norman Osborn, but I thought the the idea of him misinterpreting who received which gifts or which power was brilliant. That's a, that was a great misdirection, and I really liked that. Okay, so I had to pull it up because I I remembered one and I couldn't you know I could picture it in my head, but I couldn't remember the the name. So there were four. There was the the Hornet. Um, Mary Jane uh, created that suit for him and he was only able to use that mantle for a few days. So the the whole umbrella behind this is Peter Parker, you know, Spider-Man gets framed for murder. And so he has to try and solve 
okay. solve, you know, figure out who framed him for murder, but he can't do it as Spider-Man. Um, so he uses the, the, the Hornet identity until it becomes too popular and the Vulture figured out um, who he was and that he hadn't given it up. Then he was a Prodigy for a while. And then the one that I, I like was Dusk. That's the, the, the black costume with the, the bigger wings. And it says, using this suit, Peter was able to track down the people responsible for framing him for murder, the whole reason he was forced into finding new identities to begin with. Um, once Peter's name was cleared, uh, he left the mantle behind. But there was one other one, uh, which was Ricochet. That's the one with black and white. He's got, like, his forehead exposed and kind of Spider-Man-ish eyes. Yeah. I remember that. Took, took, took a bit so who to, was it that framed yeah. him? Uh... It's Judge Doom. <laughs> I am the Lord. Uh... No, Judge Doom for oh, Roger yeah, Rabbit. Yeah. Sorry, Judge, Judge, Judge Doom. <laughs> yeah, with his with his crazy <laughs> eyebrows. <clears throat> Did you? Let me jump back in here for further. We haven't really talked about the writing, uh, and I. I I tend to like Howard Mackey. I like I like really liked his run on Ghost Rider. Um, I got a funny story about him. I got his uh, his autograph when he was in Dallas on my big Marvel book. And in the back, there's a little little how how comics are made section. It's him and Mark Textera about producing a, a, a Ghost Rider issue. So I had him sign it, and he turns to the guy next to him and goes, "Hey, look at this. This is when I had hair because now he's kind of gone bald." And that's a it was a picture from the '80s, but. Uh, when Jonah's kind of ranting and raving about, uh, you know, like he always does about Spider-Man, he kind of lumps in all the rest of the superheroes, too, all the costume people. And I always thought Jonah kind of was just mainly Spider-Man that he had a problem with, mainly because he, he kept his identity secret. He had no problem with, say, Cap. I thought he looked up to Cap and some of the other characters that had a, an, a known identity. He didn't kind of lump all the costume superheroes in with Spider-Man. But here he seems to be out for all of them. At times, different writers, different takes on the character. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be... It's going By to, the way, what did you guys be. think of the whole Spider-Man Human Torch bro-fest? That, I mean, we don't really get a whole lot of it here. We just get it in the first uh, few pages. Johnny Storm wondering where Spider-Man, you know, doing the signal thing and... Or the, the the flaming you know Spider Man, where are you? But I mean, he's really really concerned. And as I read on into the books, there seems to be so much more of a a bro fest between these two as best buds or whatever. They played that that's up still later. Going on. You know, uh, they've had their own they've had their own limited series for a while. And think, that's uh, that's still in the current continuity. Um, that they're they're good friends. Yeah. And it makes sense. They're both about the same age. They both get their powers about the same time, you know. And one Accepted. is kind of, you know, reaping the, the reaping the rewards of being a, a famous uh, a superhero, and one is, you know, having trouble paying his rent. So there's always that. Yeah, it looks of, like uh, Peter just goes over to play on Johnny's PlayStation. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Peter ever thought that he, that his fighting crime didn't make a difference, this shows that when he's gone, there's apparently a huge vacuum of. Nobody uh, taking care of street level. You know, Daredevil says he, you know, street level. Kirk, crime. that is really cool. I didn't catch that. Hey guys, I um, 
Just uh, John, I'm sorry, John. John yeah, we Wheelie uh, showed up in ch in chapter one, and I, I was it was kind of bugging me, and I'm like, uh, and then I went and pulled up our Wheelie co uh, picture, and sure enough, there's Wheelie. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah, you'd think back to what you just said, uh, Tim. You'd think there's enough street level heroes in the Marvel universe. I mean, I get that Daredevil would say. Hey, you know, there seems I've seemed to be punching more bad guys lately. You know, like some somebody's yeah. dropped out of the scene, but shouldn't like a like a Power Man, you know, an Iron Fist be running around, you know, like Cloak and Dagger. I mean, there should be plenty plenty of folks, right? To well, not to mention how many are, how many are being <laughs> killed by the Punisher. I mean, come on, <laughs> all, all of the ones he deems irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or say the avenging angel by now, you know that arc where he became a some kind of a, a non just mercenary. He was, I mean, a vigilante. He was a the avenging an angel or something angel. that was. <laughs> they dropped that pretty well. Quick. I I brought the the books to the table, and so I I kind of you know like to go around and see what you all you know thought, kind of all in now, right? So we. We talked about Chapter One, Number One. We talked about Amazing Spider-Man, Number One. Um, both Burn books, right? Although one, you know, completely helmed basically by Burn, and the other one uh, not. You know, so John, what did you think? Did you like one more than the other? Do you yes. hate them both? No, um, I don't. I don't hate them both. I really, I like Chapter One. I thought it was very. I thought it was good. I liked the artwork in it. Um, ASM one, uh, I don't hate it, but as a burn book, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't think it, uh, and the coloring, I don't like the coloring of it. There's, there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't pull me through that story. Um, uh, but, uh, chapter one, I really enjoyed. Okay. And I think when, when we were doing our, our, uh, holiday special, you know, one of the things I like to ask is, because uh, we've we've all mentioned it here, like stuff that we still have on our personal bookshelves, right? That we pick up. So did uh, it sounds like for you, Chapter One holds up, but the relaunch of uh, Amazing Spider-Man didn't really do anything for you, you know, in that you, you're not going to go out there and try and hunt down the trade of this or no. recommend it to a Spider-Man fan. No, but I, actually, even before we started talking about Chapter One, I've been like, oh, I kind of would like to revisit Chapter One. And uh, wish I still had the stories, uh, wish I had the issues. And I'd like to read Chapter 1 and The Spider-Woman, the Volume 3, because they all kind of came out at the same time, even though they're not connected to each other. But, um, yeah, so I, I wish I could revisit the whole the whole run. Thanks to the Internet, you can! And thanks to the Internet, I can, or an omnibus. Yeah, well, they've all, they've, uh, I should, should have thrown that out there. All of these have been reprinted in trade paperbacks. And the, the issues themselves, uh, all, with the exception of a few of those uh, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2 issues, they're all relatively, you know, cheap, right? A couple bucks. You could pick yeah. up some nice clean copies, you know, very fine or near-mint copies uh, for not much money. At this point, you know, I don't. they don't need to be slabbed in near-mint to me. I just want to read them again. <laughs> right. Hold them. Well, Kirk, what did you think? Well... Given the cover of uh, Chapter One, I hate word balloons. But given that's that's a, a given, um, 
I, my feelings are, are somewhat like John's. I don't mind chapter one. I enjoyed it. It's clear that Byrne, being at the helm, uses his usual tricks and techniques to move the story along and and to tie things together. So, you know, I think that's passable, and I, I, I like the the story, the effort. But you got to remember, I was around when uh, the the first reprints of Amazing Spider-Man, the Ditko Lee books, were first showing up. So. In some ways, I cut my teeth on that, and they'll never be matched. They'll never be equaled. They were a product of the times when they were generated, and it works as a simple morality tale in Amazing Fantasy 15. You know, with great power comes great responsibility, and this poor sad sack made the wrong choice and lost Uncle Ben. And then it got spun off into a series that became what we now know as the masthead or the, the, the mascot or the 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 face of marvel comics so you know that will never be equaled but i don't mind what Byrne did i don't mind that marvel tried to reboot this i didn't think it was necessary but i understand what they were trying to do that being said amazing spider-man volume whatever this is number one oh the art (laughs) um you know um I got it. It's the first issue of an ongoing, and it poses a big mystery. Who's the uh, the interloping spider person? Um, and it's introducing a new cast of characters, and I don't mind that. I much prefer the John Byrne backup at the end, the Secrets of Spider-Man. That's that's uh, you know that's one of those featurettes that used to be in the uh, the annuals, you know, Spider-Man right. Annual One or Two or or what have you. Um, and yeah. that's really nice to see. But I you know. The artwork. I'll just stop there. <laughs> so, it, so you're you're in uh, you're in uh, John's boat. So you pretty, you would pretty be much interested in you know like if you came across a trade of chapter one you know for a few bucks you'd pick it up and read through it. Probably, but, except I know someplace in my long boxes I have all thirteen or fourteen of those issues. So right. I probably would not invest in it because I wouldn't care to see it again. I do I do remember, just as, as Brian pointed out, the abrupt uh, cliffhangers in the middle of each adventure. Like, they took the issue, the Lee Ditko issue, and they slid it 10 pages so that you get the setup in one issue and then a cliffhanger, and you have to buy the next issue to get the conclusion of that. And then you get the setup for the next issue and another cliffhanger. So they're always... It, it's very calculated, and it feels calculated, as I remember it. And that's that was, I want to say it's frustrating and a little off-putting, but I, you know, they got my money. I bought the entire series, and I read it once, and it sits in a long box. Right. So I can't complain because I liked Burns' efforts, but boy, that formula got tiring very quickly. I, I'm Same thing with the diagonal artwork. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm finding reading it now is much more enjoyable than when when it initially came out. I think there's just too much baggage back then. Hey, Kirk, I think the way you're describing those stories, uh, you know, how they were kind of cut in the middle, it, re- it really sounds like what I hear um, uh, uh, Andy over at um, Glittering of Palace Delights talks about how he used to get Marvel stories in, in, the, you know, in England 
how they would chop them all up for their weeklies. You know, they would take one issue and chop it up. Yeah. And you get like eight pages and then you're like, ah, you have to wait until the next week to pay your 12p <laughs> to get the next issue, you know, or something mm -hmm. to get the rest of the issue. Because there was like four different issues, four different comic books in one weekly and they just mm -hmm. kept breaking them up, so you got four adventures at a time. So that's what it kind of sounds like. Hmm. It's a marketing technique, and, yeah. and comics have always about been about getting the right. kids money and making them buy the next issue for whatever reason. Then you know. It, it, but you don't you don't like it put in your face like that, like. Ha -ha. Uh -huh. Yeah, I've, issues used to be complete in one mm -hmm. back in the day. No more. Well, it's the ultimate decompressed yeah. story. They're taking a a twenty-page story and turning it into yep. two forty-page stories. Uh, Tim, uh, I uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna agree with Kirk on chapter one. I I don't think it was necessary. Uh, I don't hate it. I think the artworks is pretty good. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's again like him. I think it's I would read it to see what Bernard. I'm, I'm curious as to what he would do, what his little changes are, because I know the stories. But I I don't feel the need to revisit it. I would I would you know I'd bag it and I'd put it in a box. I'd probably never look at it again, unless I was doing a podcast. <laughs> uh, Your so, podcast and I'm, on chapter one. And I'm you know well, I'm yeah you know, forced to to dig it up again. Uh, as for the relaunch of Amazing Spider-Man One, I, I I'm sure I read this. I don't have a memory of it. It makes me kind of want to go and revisit it. Uh, I think the book has some '90s damage yeah. um, with the coloring and some of the, the storytelling and the art being the the art's not bad other than some of the wonkiness of it. It's just it's not. I'd rather see more burn come through, uh, or him not do it at all. It's kind of quasi burn is a little. I want all of burn. Agree. I want none I of agree. burn. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, but other than that, it's, it makes me kind of want to revisit it. So I guess that's that's it's not a, a complete loss. So you know, as as uh, you, you're saying that your copy didn't have the ads and other stuff in there, and I do recall. I mean, the the copy I have does have the ads and such, and the other ones that I read following it. And I think in issue three, they actually had the ballot sheet for the top creators of the year. And for neither for writer, for artist, or inker was burn even a consideration on any of them. Ouch. Just completely left off the ballot in 1999. Wow. Yeah. Ouch. Wow. I, I mean, it just, you know, it just says, you know, that, that things have changed, people's tastes have changed, and people's opinions on him have changed, and he's changed. Now, the thing is, is that when you sit there and you look at this body of work at the time, and we didn't discuss this earlier, so I'm going to bring it up now. Uh, in December of 98, and that's the month that uh, Chapter 1 came out, Chapter 1, Issue 1, as well as Chapter 1, Issue 2, because it was coming out every other week. And I think a lot of people forget that. It didn't come out over the whole course of the year, just six months. And then he did uh, apparently a piece in the ElfQuest special. I think it was just a splash page. And then uh, there was a giant-sized Spider-Man book that came out then and I don't know anything about that one I couldn't find anything easily um, and then on the amazing spider-man that came out in January the very next month well he of course was working on issues three and four of chapter one but he was also working on book one of Superman and Batman generations and that of course is just like freaking 
awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, you look at the style of work that he did in Generations, you see that, and you look at what he's done here in Spider-Man, both in the chapter one and Amazing, is that Burns' style, you know, from book to book is, is different. Is that he is changing the mm -hmm. style that he is drawing for each one to suit whatever particular era that uh, that he needs it to. So, you know, the people, I, I don't think that the audience at the time really recognized this uh, as the ballots were coming out. Of course, the, all this probably could have gone on the next year's ballot for all I know, generations, because it, uh, it did uh, come out, what, over, no, it came out over four months, that's right. But um, I think it, came, it, it finished after the ballot, uh, while the ballot was still, had been already cast for that year. So probably went on next year. But I mean, just uh, like I said, you know, on uh, chapter one, I really, really enjoyed the art story had me kind of going, OK, I understand why you're doing it. Amazing Spider-Man. Um, the story actually was uh, was entertaining to me to points. I don't like the 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 Peter having hide secrets from Mary Jane, um, you know, aspect and just the, the distance they're creating between Peter and Mary Jane at this point. But I understand why they're doing this because the audience has decided they didn't want them to be married. So well, I, I'm again, but I, I enjoyed the art in, in uh, Chapter One much more than I did in Amazing at this point. I I mm -hmm. agree with just about everything that everyone has stated. I I tend to lean uh, on on more heavily on Tim's side for Chapter One. I I, I don't see enough freedom and flexibility, you know, in, in Burns retelling of Spider-Man's origin and, and some of his early battles that, that merits the series. You know, if they had given him some more freedom to, uh, to, you know, change things like he was able to do with Superman, you know, maybe it would have come out better. Uh, but I think you can, you can either skip it. Um, or if, if you want to read it as an else else world story, uh, you know, I think it, it, it would be okay. Uh, I'm with you, Brian. So I, I cut my teeth, you know, for Spider-Man. Um, you know, I grew up in that area era of Mark Bagley, Eric Larson, um, uh, McFarlane. You know, so I struggle with this first issue, seeing the, the burnness of it in ASM 1. It really does look to me like either he is mimicking their style or because of what you explained with all these other books that he has going on, uh, maybe he provided loose pencils and, and, you know, it is a many, you know, many hands project to get it going. Because we didn't say it, but both of those books were uh, high page count. Like uh, ASM number one is 40 pages. It's got three stories in it. And while right. Byrne did a four page at the end, there was also that middle story that he had nothing to do with. Right. But but they're big books. I mean, these aren't you know the the skimpy you know just you know regular run of the mill you know issue. They were oversized number one. So I mean, it's a it's a a, a tall task. Um, so I I I'm curious to go back and reread some of this uh, because I I have to check my collection too. I don't know how many of these issues I have, and like Brian, I don't know if I filed them in order in volume one of, of ASM. So they, <laughs> so they could be off in their own box. You know, yeah. Connected. You know, I'm always curious with stuff like this, where I, I know I've picked them up later. Like I said, you know, this is my gap years where I wasn't actively collecting, 
um, you know, uh, each Wednesday. But I know I've gotten them later because, you know, I'm on that quest, right? By the time I, I kick the bucket, I'm going to try and get as, as complete as possible a run of Batman as well, uh, Detective Comics and Amazing Spider-Man. So I know I have them, but I don't know if they're in order. Uh, I'm curious to see what was the issue that preceded this, right? So I think it'd be ASM 441, you know, and then reading it with this one. Does it well, simply just pick up, pick right back up again? Let me let me take a look here. I've got the the CD or the DVD of Amazing Spider-Man from, uh, you know, Amazing Fantasy 15 all the way up through 2006. And uh, so it's got all this, and it's got it in order by year. So if I go into 1999, then, okay, 1999 started off with Amazing Spider-Man. So go back to 1998, and, yeah, up to 441. And, um, yeah, that was the last issue. Hey, Brian, do they have Chapter 1 on those CDs? No, they don't. Because I have that CDs, too, except I'm missing one one CD, which has... Spider-Man 400, which is the one issue that I really, really want out of that 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 section. Well, I can help you there. Yeah, I've got like I think probably like Brian, I've got issue one through 550 in CBR. These, so yeah, these are all PDFs uh, separated by year. But yeah, the Amazing Spider-Man 4, and that's the one with the gravestone, a death in the family, right? That's where Aunt May died. Yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert! Should have stayed dead. Thirty-year-old story. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> which? Yeah, Kirk. Day, which time? She should have stayed dead. I'm not story, dead yet. <laughs> now they've reconned it. That she better. knew at some point. She recognized that her nephew was Spider-Man. It's like, oh come on. Yeah, she always right, knew. They, some... Yeah. Well, that's that's the whole Mary Jane Watson that. You know, she saw him sneaking out from the very beginning. I'm surprised Byrne didn't have that in Chapter 1 instead of the, the burglar saying... It comes in a later reading, issue. Uh, Mary Jane it's in a later issue. There. Yeah, yeah, oh, it does no, show up okay. in a later issue. So, David, is that all your thoughts on him? Yeah, it was fun to go back, I mean, and, and look at these two books since they, they came out, um, you know, so close to each other, and they're just totally different experiences. You know, yeah. same, same, same artist... Right, um, and they're just different experiences. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that you all shared in, in the experience with me of going through these two books. Although I think there's a little pain along the way in them. Uh, a little? No, it's you know, <laughs> if you see, it's interesting to see something you read, you know, 20 years ago and read read it now. You know, you change and see it with new eyes. But you, I think you can tell when you read the backup story in this, where that's all burned it that that ties in with chapter one so that you can tell they were meant to be kind of companion pieces. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's, all, that's, all, that's I, I've, I've put everything out there on the table. I have no cards left. <laughs> well, I, I think that we've said pretty much everything we can about these two really. Um, Do you guys see significance of this coming out in December around Christmas for parents to have bought this or, you know, this effort for their kid or is that just coincidence? Unless there's a scorpion toy yeah. out there, they're going to buy. And then and the thing is, is that you know, you, uh, they don't advertise. I mean, they do advertise comic books ahead, but you know, again, to coincide with a toy, it's just unusual. 
I want to I want to lay seeds for this is not Spider-Man sperm related, but and we don't want to discuss it now because I want this could be an upcoming show. I didn't know this. Apparently, he did something similar in the same year with Hulk annual. 1999, where he retold yeah. his story. In fact, it's called yeah, Hulk I'd Chapter One. Lee, Lee Weeks did I the think artwork. that's a that's a future. Yeah, he did, he's just the writer. He didn't do the artwork, but I think that's a future uh, episode for us because I haven't read that. I don't think. No, I I haven't. Um, I know somewhere else that Byrne had done some Hulk work where he actually did the artwork, but I'm not sure where if it was in that series he did with Ron Garney or what. So I'm gonna have to dig and find out about that. Yeah. Well, speaking of Hulk, we're gonna do a little plug. Our, uh, I think our next show, we we still talking about doing the hey, Hulk run. It is six episode six. fifty of Third Degree Burn coming up. Fifty, the spectacular fiftieth episode. It's gonna be an oversized edition. Yeah, oversized. It's gonna be a holograph. It's gonna be die cut. Yeah, definitely. And, and do you want do you want to know what else we've got coming? What we've got here? We actually have feedback. Email feedback. Two people emailed into the gotta get burned at gmail.com address and I am just happier than a pig in slop right now. So I thought I thought all of your listeners were on the call right now. No, no, we have, we have more. They we are have more. <laughs> I, I mean I, again, you know, uh, Randall Watts uh, wrote in and he says, Hey guys, just wanted to let you know, I appreciate all the work being done for the podcast. It helps my work day pass quickly. I really enjoyed the top 10 covers episode. Maybe one on top 10 characters burn enjoyed or top 10. He hated to use just a suggestion. Thank you. Randy Watts. And apparently this Ooh. was sent from his iPad. Now I, I, I gotta say, you know, it's like, uh, Tim and I have already done top burn characters that he created i don't know that i mean again there's a definitely good room for characters he enjoyed but you know enjoyed for different reasons i mean there's characters he enjoyed writing and characters he enjoyed drawing for sure you know but where would you put someone like frankie ray because apparently he really enjoyed drawing her but But he got rid of her after three issues so (laughs) Well, I mean, he was trying to, to, you know, fit her up for that last Galactus story, but it got screwed out of it when they killed the Epic line. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's see. That that may take that, that take a little more work, I think, to try to. It's, it's almost like if you do top ten characters, I, I just he hated. don't. I mean, again, you know, that's. It's a great idea. I like it. Show, but, uh, look, we, no, we were talking some... about before doing like uh, you know best and worst anchors and. I think what we're, what we're determining is that, you know, like the the positives are great, but when you start talking the negatives, you know, it's just it, it it's a direction I don't think we really want to go. I think we can say that, you know, we don't like this one or that one, not because they're bad, just because we don't like the way the styles mesh. But when you just start listing out the yeah. top worst anchors, you're going to start taking shots. And I don't think we want to be one wants to do that yeah that's not we well you said you said you made the comment about being yeah, art critics there. earlier so i think as long as it's not you know personal attacks right what you're critiquing the work it's fine sometimes picking up the the biggest garbage book right and reading it and talking about it can be a lot of fun um i remember just recently well, recently like in the last five years there was an uh, an issue of she hulk and i'm gonna have to go back and try and find it the art was so bad so hey. bad 
Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot where you can sit there and go, that was bad, woof. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, again, like I said, I think we can sit there and maybe have a discussion on the best anchors, and then you can sit there and say, okay, but I didn't necessarily care for this one, but it's not because they're bad. Again, there are there are anchors out there that I don't I don't appreciate, but you know other people do. So yeah, it's like every 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 right, anchor is right. somebody's favorite. So it's 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 all. Uh, it all I would goes say that while you know the so. while uh, Joe Sinnott is the quintessential Fantastic Four anchor, I never cared for his inks on Burns pencils. Crickets. And I'm sure it comes out all the time. Some anchors may mesh with yeah, other artists yeah. better. Yeah. Hey, Brian, uh, apparently, guys, apparently, uh, apparently got, you're the only one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just like crickets there. Uh, we did get more email. Uh, now, I, I, one just came in while we were talking. Oh. And it says, great podcast. Hey, guys, just wanted to share a great new podcast that I found called Third Degree Burn. You should try it sometime. Your intern, Kirk G. Kirk? I confess. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, and our last one comes from James Roach, uh, titled The Babe Discussion. Uh, oh. Hi, guys. Oh. Really enjoying the podcast. I've never heard of your podcast until very recently, so apologize as all this is old feedback for you. I listened to the very first one, and then I went to the most recent, and I've sort of been working my way backwards. On the last page of the first issue of Babe, there's a shot of a spaceship in orbit. Not knowing if any of you are fans of Valerian and Laureline, French sci-fi comics, but the spaceship bears a resemblance to the main spaceship used in their comics. I've also noticed a lot of similarities between Hero Valerian and Jean-Paul from Alpha Flight. It would be interesting to know if this series, which has been around since 1967, was ever an influence on Byrne. I never got into Euro comics in my youth, but Valerian and Laureline has been an awesome and unexpected find later in life. Uh, honestly, I can say I, I've, I've not uh, read any of that. I did try to watch Valerian and uh, whatever it was that that movie that came out a few years ago. And it's interesting because Dane DeHaan plays the the main character, and uh, he's the guy that played the Green Gobbler, Harry Osborn, in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. And I could also I could actually see him playing Jean Paul. You, know. you mean he played the uh, yeah. green skin infection? <laughs> but yeah, uh, I could see him playing Jean Paul, or at least in his younger days, uh, as uh, North Star. Uh, that that would seem to be a more fitting character for him to play. Yeah, he definitely gets that angry part up in uh, what was the movie Chronicle? Oh Chronicle, yeah, yeah, of course that was. Directed by uh, yeah. Josh Trank, who did that "What the F" four Ama movie. Amazing, Fantastic <laughs> Four adaptation. <laughs> the Fantastic Four stick, or whatever it called, the Fan, fan Four stick. Uh, fan Four stick. Or he definitely whatever. had a take yeah. on it. But hey, <laughs> yeah, uh, James, yeah. we do appreciate your email there, and uh, uh, same Randall and, and Kirk for for sending in an email to us. Uh, remember, if you want to send us a note, yeah. uh, email us at gottagetburned at gmail.com. We'll have a link there in the, the show notes. And, uh, of course, you can always respond to us on the uh, the Facebook page at Third Degree Burn um, or even on any of the parts where I share. If you've got something uh, you know good to add to the conversation, we'll be sure to bring it up in the, uh, in the episode. Um, so, again, we're going to be covering Hulk's 
314 through 319 and Marvel Fanfare 29. Next week is our 50th anniversary extravaganza. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'll just add to that Facebook uh, promo there. You know, it would be great if people commented on the, the episodes as they're posted, because I don't know about you guys, but my whole Facebook news feed is filled with like either baby pictures, coronavirus stuff, or Trump did this and that. So it would be it would be nice to have mm-hmm. somebody. You know what? If you hate the way I sound, put that in the comments. Let me know. I'll I'll work on it. All right, I'm gonna start writing an email right now. <laughs> I already did. Boys. <laughs> and uh, there was one last thing I wanted to bring up before we dropped, and now my my brain is just slipping. Save well, it for the fiftieth. Um, Oh, yes, yes, yes. Actually, I wanted to send out a a shout-out and a thanks, uh, though we kind of did a little bit earlier, to Andrew Leyland of of Palace of Glittering Delights because he gave us a real nice shout-out on one of his more recent episodes. So thank you, Andrew, for for bringing us up. That always improves our our visibility out there. Was that when he read one of my letters or an email from me recently? Yeah. And so, Andy so is, thank uh, you, Tim, like for writing, show. Andrew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and shameless, shamelessly plugging at the bottom. I write that some of those things. Shameless plug, thirty reburn. Yep, yep, yep. So, any uh, any final thoughts? This is a uh, uh, one. I want to thank Dave for suggesting this. I thought this was a a great idea. Um, we had, thought we had some good conversation on it. Um, so, any final thoughts before we uh, sign off? I None for would me. Like to pose a a. a listener poll uh we've had some debates behind the curtains and and somewhat on the air of whether this should be a two-hour show or a three-hour show or a one-hour show and i don't know that there's going to be a change but i would very much like to know from the audience what they feel what do they feel the ideal length for a show about this topic about you know this sort of discussion i'd like to know what they think please write in and let us know cool Mm-hmm. Yeah, are we are we too long winded? Do we need to cut it down? Do we or make it longer? Does it make any difference to you at all? Uh, yeah. Does it depend on this subject? Mm-hmm. You know. So we did cover two books. Yep, so. yep, yep. Uh, anyway, uh, we want to thank you all for listening. Hope that you're staying safe through all this going on. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. But for Third Degree Burn, you've got Kurt Greenfield, David Thompson, John Hyatt. Tim Elliott, and my name is Brian Hughes. Everybody have a great week.
敵の男スパイダーマン That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Two Two Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to Gotta get burned at gmail.com. That's G O T T A G E T B Y R N E D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.